You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You and I are talking. Like, you could have anybody in this chair. You know, you're easy to talk to. So you could have anybody in this chair, and the interaction would be completely different from, like, what it would be online, where someone takes on... It's almost like a video game where they take on an evil avatar and they spew their id, their repressed rage at someone from their childhood pain that they want to just take out on someone else. And everyone's like working out their own childhood issues in this illusory video game world, this this like avatar world where people just taking out, spewing and yelling at each other without even having that human connection, which you're talking about. Right. I mean, I think everybody agrees that's bad. Mm -hmm. And yet... What's the solution? Is there a societal solution or is it just going to get worse? Brian Scott McFadden. Hey. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I have been such a fan of your comedy for years now. Thank you. Um, And uh, you you mentioned an idea to me the other day and I thought it would be a great topic for a podcast, which is uh, kind of... I think you mentioned political incorrectness in comedy, which is, of course, happens every day. And it's, it's, you know, and there's a, there's a line, just like there's a line in any kind of communication, there's a line. And and I think it's a little further onto the politically incorrect side in comedy, but where, where is that line and where should it be? Yeah. And then, and then it, it gives rise to the conversation of political incorrectness in society in general. So I feel like even when we were kids, we were aware when some like the words politically incorrect probably first started when we were like in our twenties, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's just gotten, it's gotten into a disease almost, mm-hmm. <laughs> where like if you're politically incorrect, it's not just like oh, okay, I need to maybe think about this a yeah. little bit more and then speak. Now, if you're politically incorrect, you're damned to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're marginalized and you're and and it, it it's metastasized because. I mean, in the, in, the, in the Trump era, it's been used to use, in the Trump era, it seems to have been used to describe almost anything. I'm not going to be politically incorrect, like, about anything. Like, comedians, that was the beauty of comedy, was that comed- comedy was this entity in which there was this freedom to say things and to, and to discuss things in a way with the recognition that comedians had a kind of cachet because of the environment, because of the context, because of the setting in which we t- we speak, that that we were allowed to say things because it didn't have this political importance. We were comics. We we're the clowns and that saying the absurd things to the king or whatever. We're the jesters, just going crazy, and we were just sort of. And I don't. And I do have some theories on where that shifted because it seems like. Now we're imbuing all of society with the same standards of behavior and comedians with the same levels of, of acceptability of speech that we hold politicians to. And I think that's insane. Right. Like, like, just, like uh, that's insane to take, take an extreme example where yeah. Kevin Hart, 
this is not even an extreme example, actually, yeah. but this is a, a prominent example. Yeah. Kevin Hart was uh, originally denied being, you know, they, they took away being the host of yes. the Oscars, Oscars because of tweets he made about uh, uh, gay people 20 yeah. years ago. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then they asked him to back because they couldn't find another host to replace him, right. and he refused. He refused. I love that. So, <laughs> so and, and, the, and the question is, like, so it's not only, like, he, it's not like he said something politically incorrect yesterday. It was, like, I forget how many years ago. It was either 10 or 20 years ago. It was some long time ago. Not that it was, and, and here I feel like I have this, not that it was good that he said that then. No, no. But, uh, you know, the standards we're holding to people are not even what they're saying today, but what they said 20 years ago. Well, that's a separate. That's an even separate issue. Not only are we holding people. <laughs> okay, if you want to say that the cultural tides have shifted, fine. Okay, we, we, we have these new standards. But if you're going to backwards engineer that stuff to stuff people said 20 years ago and get in a time machine and go back and say, you shouldn't have said that and you should have known that 20, two decades later, you sh that's going to... I, that's to me such madness. I can't even, I don't even comprehend. There's possibility for enlightenment and growth in people. And we've all undergone shifts in our consciousness and what we perceive to be things that we say that we go, oh, that was a little harsh or something. But you're not allowed that because, because I mean, the hard thing is that like a good example. Now people can look at that and go, oh, and it, it I, I think it was a certain amount of time ago, but it wasn't like it it's still people go, well, he shouldn't have said that back then. Eddie Murphy's album, <laughs> if you listen to that or watch that now, uh, Delirious, the, as, as Joe Mattarese comic, comic does a whole bit about this, where I think the, num the, the, the first cut on Eddie Murphy's album is Faggots, it's called. It's called Faggots. The word Faggots is used. And it's literally on the CD if you buy it. And, it's, and he uses that word all through that special. Now, Eddie Murphy's still working in the business. You know, like, like I, I have people, if, if you talk to Eddie now, he'd go, I probably wouldn't use that word now. It's like, it's like but... I don't think Eddie Murphy should he not get an Oscar because for a future performance because he used those languages. It's it's a weird thing to suddenly say, okay, this we've shifted the language. I get it. I I don't necessarily agree with it, but to totally take that and then go, well, you should have known. You should have known in the future that things were going to change. You're like. How would anyone, people laughed and thought it was weird, like, like, or something and thought it was funny. And it just seems odd to me. And I get kind of, I'm just fascinated by that dynamic. Like, how can you say to, to somebody, oh, 20 years ago, you should have known not to use that language. <laughs> it just you know, doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's interesting too, because uh, there's so many different branches mm -hmm. to go off here. So maybe I should almost listen. Sure. So one branch is, well, are, are, are we sort of saying comedians kind of have a, a hall pass to get away with more than than other uh uh jobs of in society yeah. and so yeah, on yeah. like ranging yeah. from politicians to parents to teachers to whatever and i say and i say a an emphatic yes okay to that okay so, and that is an argument that i understand a lot of people don't like right i have the argument that yes because your role in society the context in which you're operating uh matters and, and, and if you're in a particular position, we, we now have elevated comedians or consider comedians to be uh, thought leaders. Whether you think that's good or bad, that's an argument we can have. Whether that, but, but I also think that 
I also think that the context in which comedians operate and the jobs that they have and the skill set that they bring means something. And and a lot of times, and this is an argument I always have, a lot of comedians who say, oh, this crowd is too politically correct. You know, you guys don't like night. So many times I'll see comedians do just a terrible joke that isn't funny. And they'll use the shield of, well, you guys don't allow my edginess. You don't like, and it's like, no, your joke sucks, dude. Write better. You know, it, if you're going to wade into any difficult topic, then the, the difficulty bar is raised. You better bring your A game and you better write something that really brings the heat and really brings something smart and funny. If you're going to wade into racial waters or you're going to wade into something that's edgy about gender or sexuality, then, then the game has changed. It's like Steph Curry. There's like, we're, we're now a different era of comics where, where you better just, you can't just do stupid old racial jokes like ah, Puerto Rican steel or whatever that was in the seventies. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not there. We're not there. That doesn't mean you can't make jokes about race or anything else. It just means that the game has been elevated. And so don't use that. St I hate that. See, as much as I hate political correctness, I even hate more people who use the idea that, Oh, you guys just don't like my edginess. You're too politically correct. No, that joke, blows dude like write something funny or insightful you know right so so if you're the comedian in that case how do you know you know you have to have a lot of self-awareness to say okay here's here's a situation where i just simply needed to write better and and i yeah. didn't have the hall pass right you know to be to 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 test the line so whereas someone like john stewart who mm -hmm. could be argued either ruined the game or changed the game, mm -hmm. he kind of blurred the lines between comedian yeah. and news reporter. So if you called him yes. a, a, a news show, he would say, no, absolutely not. I'm a comedy show. Yes. And yet at the same time, by, by kind of holding up the banner of political correctness in most cases and pointing it out in, in, you know, among politicians and yes. in the hypocrisy of society, he sort of made himself more than a comedian. Well, see, that's the thing. That's where you, but that's what that show was. And it's still a show, regardless. Mm -hmm. It was still a com it was on Comedy Central. Stewart himself did not want that mantle. He was doing a comedy show. It was it was it was placed on him to be a thought leader. Liber liberal liberals who were so uh, upset about losing to but you know, when Bush beat Gore. This is my. I'm yeah. glad we brought that up because this is like a passionate subject for me because I always thought that's where it switched. You're, I, I, I feel like that era changed what people's perception of comedy was, and that's the. I think this is my own personal viewpoint, but like I noticed the shift. John Stewart was doing this great, and he was brilliant at it, and it was funny, and it was insightful, and it was great. But then they started wanting John Stewart. You remember this rally that they had where they wanted John Stewart to run for uh, like, yeah. they, and and they wanted it to turn into this. I'm going, why are you turning to the? This guy's doing his job. He's doing. He's mocking Bush, and he's mocking, and he's really bringing some really insightful commentary to the. And at that moment, there seemed to be this kind of impotent feeling on and people who were angry at politics, angry at at their inability to affect politics. But we can but we'll, we'll affect culture. We can get comic, we'll get, com comedians became this important voice right, because in the I, wilderness. I think, of, I think comedians, and l let's say John Stewart, thought of himself maybe as the court jester in this massive yes. court of yes. America. Yes. And the court jester is, is, 
is well known for not only being funny, but for being smart. the only one, yeah, who was smart enough to tell the to yes. see the truth and tell the truth. Yes. And then Emperor I, has no clothes. Yes. And I and I think, and I'm I'm just playing the devil's Double advocate because sure. obviously John Stewart's a great comedian and it was a great show, but. Um, Maybe he even blurred those lines either intentionally or unintentionally. Like I remember one time he made fun of uh, Jim Cramer, who was a you know economic commentator on CNBC, mm. and um, I remember that. And then and, he had him on a show too. And yeah, then he, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And Jim said, uh, "Well, John Stewart's quote unquote just a comic, you know, as as we're saying here." Yeah. But then John Stewart had him on the show, and Jim thought it would just be a friendly show. Oh, sorry about that. Blah blah blah. Right and. John Stewart ripped him apart. Yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. wasn't ready for that. And it really it, affected the temperature of, of how people viewed the economy and, and, and Jim in particular. I mean, right. I'm friends with him. I know he was personally <laughs> upset about it and, um, or, or trying not to be upset about it. But, you know, at what point is, was John Stewart kind of, you know, the leader of, of, of you know the voice of the people who couldn't speak. Well, I or think just that, a comic. Uh, my 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 perception of that, and I remember when he took on Tucker Carlson and and mm -hmm. and and um and uh, the other, what's his name? Uh, uh, what was Paul McGala. What Paul McGala? Who's yeah. that? That was uh, Clinton's former guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and and, and he he ripped them both CNN. to shreds. Yeah. And I thought that well look my my view of that is that John Stewart was a comic first. And I think he'd be the first one to say that. Did he, did he, did he rip Jim Cramer apart? Like he did it with some humor. There was some humor in that interview. As I recall, there was some yeah. mocking of, of him and, and showing the way Jim Cramer's that, that, um, that like animated Jim Cramer style yeah. that he was. So I think he's a comic first. It doesn't mean you can't do or make social commentary. I mean, good comics can. George Carlin did it. Richard Pryor did it with race and stuff like that. So, so I don't think it's John Stewart's fault um, per se. Now, I'm defensive of comedians, and I loved what John did anyway, just from a comedic standpoint. But what I felt was, okay, he's still a comic. He's the sad part is that no one's talking about some of the issues that he was talking about. Like no one took on, he killed Crossfire single-handedly. He went on Crossfire and humiliated those guys and took on Tucker Carlson and said, what you're doing is hurting people because you're turning every argument into black and white, one side or the other without, without compromise or you never see anyone Crossfire going, oh, that's a good point. You're turning me around on this. That never happened. Right. Not they're, one they're time. Almost, you know, on new shows like that, they're actually not really allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, like, the, I know. like the producer basically says, "Okay, we got someone who takes this viewpoint. Can you take that viewpoint?" Right. And usually, and I'll, because I know this that scene. Yeah. Usually, the pundit will say, "I'll take whatever viewpoint you need me to take yes. to get on the show." But see, <laughs> don't. No, but that's an interesting dynamic because what it is is it it encourages and fosters an environment of conflict, not compromise, right. not of understanding, but only battle, oh, yeah, they'll gladiatorial even, combat. They'll, they'll even whisper in your ear, because everybody's wearing something in their ear, they'll even whisper in your ear, like, okay, James, jump in now and start arguing. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, but, but see what that does, because when you're working in that visual environment of television, where Thunderdome, it's, it's a kind of like, in the first thing you do when you write a play or you write a screenplay or something, the, the first thing they tell you is what's important is the conflict. 
you need conflict in drama. It's right. the basis of storytelling is like an overcoming of something or a fight or a fight or a conflict. It's Joseph Campbell. What is a conflict? There's some thing inciting incident or conflict. And that's what has to be resolved in any player thing. So that's what makes television news and those things. It, it, it's not a really healthy environment to really foster a sense of community in America. It's it because to get ratings, you have to have conflict. That's what people want to watch. Well, it, did, it didn't always used to be that way. Like you can argue, I don't know, Walter Cronkite in the sixties, early seventies, yes. because there was only three networks. Yes. They had a kind of monopoly on uh, uh, attention, but they also weren't, I don't think that at that time they were profit driven. They were a public service. They were like a public utility to report the news. They weren't owned by corporations selling then the advertising that, that, that is now needed. That's why they fire. Although, although I think, I mean, I think they were like NBC, ABC and CBS. I, but, I, that's an interesting question. Like, like was, was Walter Cronkite competing as Dan Rather and did they change his hairstyle? Like they do with, with like, you know what I mean? Like Christine Kraft was a, was a female um, anchor person who was fired because they didn't like her look because people didn't like how she looked on television and well, then she sued, you I, know? So I, I think because, because the world has become ghettoized in terms of opinion and it wasn't that way necessarily in the 70s mm -hmm. now things like that have become much more important so yes you, you, i mean you just like me you know broadcast tv numbers in general have gone straight down every now. single year so they have to do something like you know have this certain look or have yeah this the opinion yes. like if someone if someone hosted a show on on fox news mm -hmm. with opinion the exact opposite of all their viewership they'd have to be fired because they're not making any money for the right or, or, but but what that does is it 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 offers the perception that you're getting news when really right. it's not so, at so, all. so it's almost like uh not only are there comedians entertainers but really all news all now news is entertainers well you've read neil postman Amusing yeah, yeah. ourselves to death. Yeah. Well, he nailed well, that. By the way, from the nineties, it's a book and exactly. he kind of predicted all he this. He nailed all of this back in 84, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the book's Amusing Yourselves to Death or and Amusing Yourselves to Death. And it's all about how this very topic. He says, he says in that book that any, that why is there a theme song on a news program? And you don't think about things like that, but when you go, dun, 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 and he says, the, and, and then why is there a cast of characters? And the sports guy is always a regular dude who who you can relate to and it's like because it's not entertain it's not news it's an entertainment show yeah. and they're packaging it as such so you get the camaraderie between the the anchor woman and the anchor guy who are doing let's like a mom and dad and then you got the the, the sports guy and then the weather guy's kind of goofy or something like that so and the and the and it has a new news program with a theme song. I never really thought of it until he said that, but I thought that's a brilliant insight. When you have anything with a theme song is not a news program. Like because because dun, 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 right. it's trying to get or your attention. 60 minutes with the tick, 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 you know, beginning yeah. The, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. almost to make you afraid of what's about to come next. Right, right. But but so so the question is like obviously the seeds were being planted 20, 30, 40 years ago. Have, has it just become worse and worse? Or do you think like the election of Trump has put us over the edge? Uh, well, cause I feel like even let's take the 2012 election, mm -hmm. right? You know, which is the one obviously before the 2016 Trump election, it was Obama versus Romney. And I felt like, yes, Democrats, of course, like Barack Republicans, like Romney, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like this violent clash yeah. of people. Like if, 
you know, it was it was a debate of ideas. Right. You know, if hypothetically Romney had won, we probably wouldn't be seeing all the the same equivalent anger. You know, uh, maybe yeah. Uh, and but now with this election, somehow or other, it divided the country in half. Maybe it was already in half, but but it it, it seemed now to really go over the edge. So suddenly, then everybody and this this might have good intentions, but every marginalized voice suddenly felt empowered because they got scared. If we don't speak now, right. we're never going to speak because Trump, you know, basically one side thought Trump was Hitler. The right. other side thought Trump was their savior. Of course, both sides are wrong. There's, right. you know, it's still the same debate of issues as always. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, regardless of what side you, you strongly believe, but somehow it became demonized either side. That's, I mean, the, so the, yeah, that's a good, the question is, when did this start? Was it brewing underneath the surface all this time and no one really knew, no, noticed it or whatever? I mean, because I think it's fascinating people go, well, you know, America is this racist country. I go, I go, but we, the country's the same as the country that elected Barack Obama twice. I mean, I mean, no one wants to hear that when I say that, but I, I go, I go, we elected Barack Obama twice, you know, like we it, are you saying that the, we're a completely different country from the, the people voted like because I remember people saying they'll never we'll never elect a black person. America's not ready for that. You know, we're just not ready for that. And then we did it twice. Mm -hmm. And I, that's significant. I know that there's racism in America. I always say one of the things, the reason we have a lot of racism in America, not just it, 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 people go, well, America's a racist country. Well, we also have a lot of races in America. <laughs> like it's a joke of mine is like we have lots of races. So that's one of the requirements of being a racist country is one of the good things about America. We have a lot of races. Mm -hmm. So that's where racism comes from. You need races to be racist. Like there's no, there's no, there's literally, no one talks about, oh, there's so much racism in China, you know, like, like there's, no, there's nobody to be racist against. Like, like, because it's a, a, a very homogenous thing. One of the beautiful things about America is that we're so racist because we have so many races in America mm -hmm. trying to get along, struggling with that same American experiment. So there's something about that that is a that's actually a beautiful thing that nobody really like talks about. But yes, there are systemic and endemic problems with this country in in that arena. But I, I also think that we tend to, because we watch the news and get into this balkanized idea of like everyone's fighting, everyone hates each other, every and the internet has just totally exploded that. And I think yeah. that that bubbling under the surface where everyone is allowed to live in these silos of thought and also just fight because because I'm just amazed when I see on Facebook. It's just people, they don't even believe what they're saying. It's like, it's just being able to be a video game avatar. Or, or um, they don't even know. Like nobody, right. I find with most issues, issues are subtle and complex. Mm -hmm. Like when, when they, when they really affect all of society, like they're, they're, they're usually, if, if, it, if, if something was black and white, it would be kind of solved pretty easily. Right. So, so, so like take for instance, what caused the financial crisis. Yeah. There's, there's many, many reasons. And, and maybe the most important reasons are very unobvious to the average person. Right. We just don't know. This and, is an area that you know more about. <laughs> right. So I might know more, yeah. but I still might not know all the answers just like nobody does. Yeah. So, so, uh, but now suddenly issues have become, people think they're not so nuanced. And of course this one is correct. And this one is correct. Yeah, that's and amazing. Correct. And, and, and me, and the news, I think, encourages that because, and, and, and the kind of extremes of each side encourages that it's sort of like, because 1% or half of 1% of society now has peanut allergies, 
There's no peanuts served right. in 100 percent of I know, it's school amazing. cafeterias. Like, and 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 you'll see this dynamic played out in the media all the time, where you know uh, the some sayism, I call it. Some say this, and you'll see a headline where it says it's like. Uh, you know, what's the superhero movie? A Captain Marvel came out, but some people don't like, you know, don't like to see a female superhero. And then, and then you, that's the headline. You go, some are angry about it. And I'm like, who's that? I don't know yeah, anyone that some? gives, I have so, who has this much free time that they care about Captain Marvel, that they're angry about it. Like, so then you go online, you read the story and it's a guy with 23 Twitter followers, right? That the media is creating this story of like, and you'll see Nazis are rallying there, and then you turn it on. It's there's eight guys at the rally. Like, 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 and right. there's this weird dynamic to conflate any because it it you click on it, you go, oh, someone's angry. I want to see who's angry, and it's like no one is. There's twelve guys because someone can print something on Twitter and say I don't like Captain Marvel. Who cares what this guy thinks? That was that's the difference. Is that now everyone has a bullhorn. Like to be able to express their opinion before you would have to write into the New York Times editorial section or like write a letter yeah. to get your ideas in print. Now this intoxicating, alluring power to have your thoughts be broadcast and the same dynamic as the New York Times and the same venue. The Internet is like this billboard where my thoughts have the same weight on a movie as Roger Ebert or some elite thinker or or my thoughts can be like Steve Bannon's, you know, like uh, just like out there in the th in the thought world of like, uh, oh, this I, I have the same thoughts as this guy, this political I, David Brooks writes for the time. But my stuff is up on Twitter. Like it's like uh, so it's it, it's fascinating to me that everyone thinks their opinion matters or uh, even the media goes well, some say this. It's like some don't say that at all. Like eight guys say that. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you know, you mentioned uh, people commenting about movies like Roger Ebert. Like people will come like after uh, Black Panther for some reason. Then you know the movie Black Panther, which yeah. was a huge hit. Yeah, huge hit. You know, decent superhero movie. It was yeah, kind of had movie. the same plot of every other superhero movie. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, people come up to me, and I wouldn't even say anything. And people are like. Oh, this proves like a mostly, uh, you know, a black cast can can be a hit. Right. And I'd be like, oh, what about coming to America? I know. <laughs> I know. And like, like did everybody blanking out? Like yeah. <laughs> or, or every single Tyler Perry movie. So, I know. I, I, it, isn't that amazing? Like, what? When did did you guys miss a meeting or something? And, and like, then they would get. But then, but the whole thing is, they would get. They were previously even before I even say anything angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like suddenly like. I don't know, anything that enforces people's belief that they're right about something, instead of making them feel good, it just makes them feel angrier. Yes, yeah, It's a, for whatever reason, it just sends people off. Am I yelling? <laughs> no, he, no, he adjusts everything. He, he adjusts everything. No, that's that's true. And with the, with the internet and people, like, what was the new one? Oh, on Game of Thrones? Oh, I, I haven't watched Game of Thrones at okay. all. Okay, well, it was Zero. just the same thing, saying people angry. I read this and I go, oh, here's another some say story. Uh, so there's a, some say that the plot twists of the Game of Thrones aren't happy about it because it's unrealistic. And I and I once again, I, you do a deep dive into the data of like who the some say is. And it's a guy in, in Portland and a guy in Iowa and like two other people. And then it becomes some don't like it. And then they use these quotes from a guy right. in, who has eight Twitter followers. There's no one. No one thought that. It's, it's, it's just a, <laughs> it's like it's like the onion. It's like the onion has come true. So the onion is known for their. Satirical. Funny articles, yeah, yeah, satirical articles that always start with like you know, area man, 
Yes. Uh, didn't yeah. think Black Panther was so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy. Yeah, yeah. It, and now that becomes an actual story right. because it gets clicks. And in the media universe, advertising dollar, this is what, um, what's, that's, that's what one of the great points of Neil Postman said this is like, because these are, and Noam Chomsky said this too, like that, that because it's media, because it's profit driven, it's immediately corrupted. Like you can't really have it's corrupted by nature because because you're out you're not really reporting the news out of the context of having to get that to survive. You need eyeballs. So yeah. by that alone, it forces you to make compromises and and hire people and to present a viewpoint. And if your ratings drop, you could be doing the best news, the most investigative reporting, like um, you know, the McNeil Lair report or something, where they didn't have a theme song and it was very quiet. But nobody it wasn't the highest rated. It was on well, PBS. Yeah, but, it was on PBS, know. which yeah. is not profit driven. Exactly. So, you know, so so but but you know, again, I think news has always been, you know, except for PBS, news has always been profit driven. But mm. now again, it's it's maybe it's the kind of empowerment of uh, social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be called social networks. Yeah. That because we would make friends with each other and message each yeah. other and communicate. Yeah, but then right. now it's become <laughs> we everybody's kind of reached their limit of who they're gonna become friends with. So now it's just these like you but say, you these bullhorns. I never understood I, me and my friend Mike was uh, Mike was an entrepreneur. My friend Mike is an entrepreneur. He's a big fan of yours, and he was a—he was like an internet guy in the early days. I, w I came home from—he was my roommate, and I came home in the in the '90s or something, and I was going, "What are you doing?" And he's—he goes, "I'm registering domain names, mm -hmm. right?" And I go, "What? What's?" I didn't even know what that. What like back then? Like he, he was raising curtains.com and all these names, and probably he, did well. He made really a lot of money. Then he mm -hmm. ended up selling it for like tons of money. He was ahead of the curve and that stuff. But we used to argue because he would say, oh, the Internet's going to solve the problems because it's going to do this and it's going to go. And I used I was so not that guy, like in terms of like ever believing in technology, like being able to solve human problems. If we blow up the world, it's not because, you know, it, it, the, the world needs human solutions to human problems. You can't solve it with a microchip or a better web network. You know, people still now you see, oh, Sri Lanka, there are civil wars thanks to Facebook or whatever, like when Facebook, uh, Myanmar or whatever it is. Yeah. I can't remember. But but uh, there's some play. Does anybody know the story? There, there's a civil war yeah, and the Rohingyas. What? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so technology is going to give us this. Technology gave us the H bomb too. You know what I mean? Like if we destroy ourselves, technology is going to have a big hand in that. Technology doesn't solve human problems of the human heart. You have to have empathy and feelings and evolution and consciousness. You can't just have you know. You know, just oh, a better modem will solve all our and our ability to connect with our friends. What that does is it actually distances you from your friend in, in a lot of ways, and you don't call them as much because you can just send them a birthday. You don't send them a card. You don't even <laughs> go visit them. And it's like you don't realize it's always like Neil Postman said. There's always a trade-off of technology. It giveth and it taketh away something, but we yeah. only emphasize what it gives us and not what it takes away. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, 
I always realized, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When I first got on Facebook, I was so excited because you're right. I don't, maybe I wouldn't call my friends as much, but all of a sudden, uh, my friends from kindergarten who I never would have spoke to again. Oh, I could see, you know, little Davey has kids and soccer matches and, but see that, isn't that the intoxicating, illusory, ephemeral, mystical allure of Facebook? It gives you this other thing that makes it appear that it is a tool for connection, but it, but it also disconnects you from the motivation to really reach out for human connection that might've been there if that wasn't there. Like, like I think Freud wrote about this in, in where he said that what's the point of having a phone if, if like, I might not go visit people now, like that I might've visited in order to speak to them. If if we have a, now, now we have a phone and we don't have to, you know? I mean, my, my experience with this is that like sometimes I've done things or had, or I'm part of things that some people have gotten very angry at me, whether rationally Mm -hmm. or irrationally. And then when they're on Twitter or Facebook, they could say the most outrageous, (laughs) even threatening things. Like I'm gonna, if I see that guy, I'm gonna, kill him or whatever. Yes. And so if I just, but in this case, if I just pick up the phone, so if I kind of completely look, different, you know, if I say, Hey, why do we know each other? Why did you say that? Yeah. And can I, you know, uh, you know, you made me a death, you made a death threat towards me and we're, yes. we've been friends for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then <laughs> they calm down and I, then they even like tweet later or Facebook later, like, Oh, I spoke to James. It was very reasonable right. actually. But like, yes, you need, it's sort of like each level of technology kind of distances further. Another thing. Yeah, and the consequences of what you say. And you don't have, you and I are talking. Like, you mm-hmm. can have anybody in this chair, James. Mm-hmm. You're pretty, you know, you're easy to talk to and you love talking to people and you love interviewing people. So you could have anybody in this chair and the interaction would be completely different from like what it would be online where someone takes on, it's almost like a video game where they take on an evil avatar and they just want to, they spew their right. id, their repressed rage at someone from their childhood pain that they want to just take out on someone else. And everyone's oper- everyone's like working out their own childhood issues in this illusory video game world, this, this like avatar world where people just taking out spewing and yelling at each other so, without even having that human connection, which you're talking about. Right. So we agree. I mean, I think everybody agrees that's, bad. Mm-hmm. And yet what's the solution? I feel there's a, a personal solution, which is, okay, I'm just going to withdraw a little from yeah. like, for instance, I never go on my Facebook news feed. I don't go on the Twitter right. feed. Sometimes I'll post stuff because I like to write articles and I'll post it on Facebook, but I don't actually ever go on the feed. Right. And, uh, that, and, and I never listen to TV news just yeah. because if you read books, 
You're gonna know more yeah, yeah, than yeah. if you spend the same amount of time right. listening to news. Yeah. So, so that's a personal solution. But what do you think is is there a societal solution, or is it just gonna get worse? It's just aware. I, I think the only thing you can ask for. Nobody's a luddite. Nobody's telling people like, oh, get rid of your mo. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's the answer. It's not gonna. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Even Neil Postman said that. You're not. People are not gonna throw their TVs out even back then. They, but what you can be aware of, and I think that the the best you can hope for the best you can hope for is like to just be cognizant that this tool is not neutral. It doesn't, it, 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 it this was, uh, once again, it's Postman's great thing. I love this because he said technology is not neutral. People say, oh, it's just a tool. You can use it for good or evil. And he goes, no. And that was his big point he tried to make. And I'm not even sure even if I totally agree with him or what your thoughts are, but he said, no, technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. It's not 50, 50. It's technology has biases that encourage a certain kind of behavior and a certain kind of human use and discourage others. Yes, you can use a machine gun to punch holes in your wall, okay? okay, okay but that's me, not its usage. So so, okay. let, so let's look at some uh, a post-postman technology that seems neutral. Like yeah. you, you pick and I'll I'll try to see what the bad side is. Yeah. Like, like what's a what's a to so machine guns you can see an obvious disadvantage and maybe people could argue an advantage right. in a war or whatever. Yeah. But but what's something that's seems totally one could just, argue just is like a tool well you, well if you look at like what is what is twitter right like like i mean i mean twitter is not necessary for our society it doesn't really we we could all live without twitter but it's this thing and it becomes what is twitter usually used for um yes it can it can amplify news events okay but it also can be used for conspiracy theories, spreading crap, uh, uh, attacking people, like all this thing. What is it? What is where does the human uh, psyche take a tool and what is its default uh, drive to use it for? I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm simply well, but, saying but yeah. that, that's a that, that's a good question. So let's say when Twitter first started, um, I think the the or Facebook, but, but, but Twitter is a good example. I think the the impetus was. Jack Dorsey, who was a programmer working mm -hmm. for the company that eventually became Twitter. You know, the original company for Twitter was, I think it was started in the, the mid-00s by this guy, Ev Williams. Mm -hmm. And the original company, and now I'm forgetting the name of it, mm -hmm. but oh, Odeo, yeah. It was, it was to create software that was a podcasting platform. Right. And then this one programmer off to the side named Jack Dorsey, who was just an employee of the, of the right. company, he wanted to make a way to send messages to his entire group of friends rather yeah, than just one yeah. friend at a time. Yeah. So he created Twitter because yeah. it, it it was, he, he kept it to the size of an SMS message, like a phone text. Yeah. And, and it was a way to broadcast instead of one at a time, SMSing your friends on the phone. Yeah. And then, so that was the, the good. And I always feel like with good intentions, people, <laughs> um, forget that like you say, nothing's neutral. There's, there's, there's going to be bad and bad yeah. things that could happen with good intentions. Yeah, good things can come of like you, Twitter can be used for something like that. But what does the human brain take technology, and what is its biased position to to use it for? It can be used for good, like we say. Facebook can be used for good, but now you see like this weird outpouring of of just vitriol venom and stuff like that and does that mean that that's the default for face for facebook technology and, not necessarily that's and, not what i'm saying yeah. and here's the thing is i don't even think most of that venom is real because i think what happens I don't is think so either, yeah. somebody figures oh you know there, there, 
it's sort of proven that, uh, I think it's proven that, you know, you get a like on a Facebook post or on a Twitter tweet and you get a tiny, tiny dopamine yeah. hit yes, that makes yes, you yes. happier for right. a microsecond. Right. And so you want to get thousands and thousands of likes right, right. so the microseconds last longer and you realize, oh, if I participate in this venom, I'm going to be happier Yes, because <laughs> lots of people will like me. Yes. yes. And, and, um, so I don't even think most of the people believe in the venom. That's why you can just call them and mm -hmm. remove the like factor yes, yes. and, and get past all that. But then what happens is, is, uh, let's take political parties as an example, is that you can no longer be nuanced and in the center, or maybe you can be slightly left of center or slightly, it used to be Democrats were slightly left of center mm -hmm. and Republicans were slightly right of center. And then there would be, you know, more, you know, extreme Republicans. And then there would be the alt-right and then there would be maybe right. fascists and, you know, liberals. Maybe there would be people who were, it would go from slightly left to politically correct, maybe too politically correct to socialist, to communism, yeah, yeah, so then yeah. there's extremes. But now if you're not on an extreme, like if you're even just slightly left uh, of center, people will hate you unless you, and they'll push you more and more into the extreme. Yeah, and then yeah. suddenly the group will love, will shower you with likes right, until right, you right. feel like, oh, I better stay yeah, in my ghetto. Yeah, that's my community, yes. Yeah. That's my community. But it, I think that that's, the, because of the internet whole conflict model, like why do you think in the news they go, a woman was eaten by a tiger. We have the video. Like, like they, they, and it's it's not newsworthy, right? right. Like, nobody cares. Like, like you don't need to know that a woman was eaten at the San Diego. But we have video, so that leads on the news. Shocking video of a man being beaten. So you get this perception of the world. These things have always happened, but you get this perception of the world shaped by a model of like this Hunger Games kind of arena, which encourages only certain content that's exciting to watch because it's visual and 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 encourages conflict to be the funnel by which everything gets put through that otherwise you don't get eyeballs so it's tr so you so so you so if you watch the news thank god you don't <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I, you, people tell me like oh did you hear about so and so and I'll have no idea what you're talking and, and, about. And, and, I hate, and the people also say, well, you don't watch the news. You're disengaging. Go, yeah, or yeah, you're but, not informed. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? Really? I'm not informed. Let me tell you something. Like, like you posting one thing on Facebook is not political engagement. Right. Okay? You, that, th this, this is what drives me crazy. This, someone walking out of a comedy club or heckling at a comedy club because somebody says something politically. You know, when, when Martin Luther King, you know, wanted to change, uh, the uh, you know, uh, society, he didn't go to yuck yucks, you know? <laughs> know what I mean? And protest jokes, Wait, is okay? That, is that a vet? Like, did you... No, you, I just... I'm, that's good. <laughs> thank you. I'll write that down. But, like, he wasn't protesting at comedy clubs, okay? That they were doing... He wasn't... He was trying to alter the power structure and influence economic issues and, and political issues. He wasn't going to, to, you know, this guy said this at this comedy club. That's what drives me crazy is that has taken the place of political engagement. If you, because that's hard work. It's, it's hard work to change the system and to influence politics. It's, it's much harder to get to uh, Chuck Schumer than it is to heckle Amy Schumer. You know what right. I mean? Like, like that's, that's, that, and nobody, because so people want to trash Amy Schumer because they can't, because what's the use of bothering with Chuck Schumer? You can't get to him. He's insulated. But Amy Schumer's out there. She's at a club. She's online. We can trash her. We can say something. We can say bad things. So it's like this weird. And then it, in a weird way, they succeed because look, Amy Schumer, for, 
for better or for worse, whether you agree with her or mm -hmm. not, she was political during the 2016 yeah. election. Yeah. And now she's back. She's doing, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant and this is my yeah, humor, yeah. which everyone yeah. can relate to. Yeah. So rather than, you know, trying to push whatever her particular edge was, she's just, I shouldn't say just, she's extremely, her last special I really loved and I mm -hmm. thought it was extremely funny. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they depoliticized her. Right, right. Well, I mean, but then you go, well, that's, as an artist, Sometimes you do take roots where you say things and then you get attacked for saying things like, like, why should we listen to this, you know, actor? But then of course the next breath, if somebody on the right, like Clint Eastwood says something or, you know, Ted Nugent, they trumpet them, uh, you know, they'll embrace a celebrity just like anybody else. If they, if they are adhere to that ideology. So, and so with Amy Schumer, you're, you're like, well, she, maybe she wanted to speak politics. So, but if we imbue celebrities with importance, like, 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 like one minute they're important. And then the next minute they're not right. Right wingers will say, you know, you know, these people are just dumb. They, they don't know anything, you know, like there is more. And then they're angry about some left wing celebrity. Then, then like, oh, well, if they're so dumb, they don't know anything. So why are you paying attention to them? And why is it when, when some right wing guy says something, then you have them on the show, like James Woods or somebody who's more right wing. They're, they're celebrating his tweets or retweeting them. He's like, well, I thought he was a dumb actor. I did like, like we're all dumb actors. Why is just because he agrees with you now you're retweeting him and thinking like he's courageous because right. he's like you it, know it, it's not like it's not like if some uh you know let's say there's another synagogue shooting or mosque mm -hmm. shooting or whatever it's not like we're all waiting like oh my god what is what does james woods think has he <laughs> has he commented yeah. yet yes, like yes. Has, i'm has, waiting it, for him to weigh in call me on, when james woods is on cnn yes, i've got to yeah. hear what he has to say yeah it, it, yeah so that's right you know what you were saying about what you were saying about the com the comedian it, you know the, the amy schumer whatever i i really think that there's been this just like weird um we can't we stopped believing in political activism uh, and, and it's ability to, and you can say, well, that good, bad, maybe you can't change that. But we started, uh, it seems like there's been this shift over, well, the culture we will change the culture. We won't be able to change politics or the system. So we'll get the culture to change and we'll influence comedian. And then when you do that, when you do that, that's when bad things start happening in terms of like, for me, in terms of what comedy is, because then you're imbuing comedy with a, an importance and a relevance. I love comedy. I think it does have importance, relevance, but when you're shouldering and using that as a substitute for political engagement, like I'm going to go, you know, we're going to make comedians adhere to a speech code, or we're going to stop them from saying that as if, as if that's really the levers of power in America or really at the, at the comedy clubs, so, you know, so like what, what's an example where you made a joke that you felt was a, a mm -hmm. good joke. And of course, for every joke, there's going to be some people who love it. Some people are okay with it. Some people hate, yeah. hate it. Just the nature of even a good joke. Well, but yeah. then with the political, if you throw political correctness on top of it, you know, what, what's a case where you, you, there was not the normal skew of love, hate, but, but well, actually the, there yeah. was hate because of the political side. Well, because uh, like, I have a joke about, I love the, I love talking about comedy in my act. Like I love talking about the dynamics of standup. And there was always this thing about comedy is the only art form where, you know, people, nobody wants to sit up front. 
<laughs> I just love the fact that we're the only art form that has an, you know, kind of negative view of being close to the action. You know, like if you're anywhere else in a rock concert, front row theater, you know, you know, front row, I got front row seats, but comedy show front row, fuck you. I want something near the back, near the kitchen. Well, okay? well you know, uh, and, and, and I have this joke that I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'm leading wanna, to this. I just want to, I'm sorry I'm interrupting, yeah. but so when the comedy store in LA, I was mm-hmm. there a few weeks ago and they force where you sit. Like yeah, they yeah, bring yeah. you in six at a time yeah. and you, they start with the front row yes, and, move back. Yes, yes. and you have to actually pay more at that moment mm-hmm. to sit in the back. That's, I know that's awesome. See yeah. that, that's <laughs> so, so that's why, that's why I don't know if you've noticed even here, we changed here immediately mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to, have, to have the, um, not exactly that because uh, we don't have enough people to kind of, yeah. they have like six bodyguards standing around, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we changed the seating so it's not, tables uh yeah as much as like rows yeah, yeah yeah so now people are like naturally inclined to sit towards yeah you know they can't sit too far away from the stage whether they're in the first row or the right, second row right well no i so i have this joke that i wrote because i wanted to talk about that dynamic and so i said uh i said everyone everywhere in life you want to be up front except the comedy show comedy club is the only place even rosa parks didn't want to sit up front at okay <laughs> all right that, that that was that was my joke that i wrote like because i thought that was really funny like okay, so, was, let's, so let's break it down so that's yes so so um, what makes that funny is because you're conflating <laughs> or, or deflating an enormously um, important, important yes. historical, political, yes. you know, and, and political, racial, you know, civil rights yes. event uh, uh, to something as meaninglessness as, 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 as the, oh, make her sit in the front yeah, row yeah. of a comedy <laughs> store. So that's yes. kind of the humor of it yes. is that the two events are not anywhere alike anywhere and you're alike. making it seem like they're exactly like Yes, so there's, yes. There, there's this, there's a spread between reality and 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 yeah. meaning. Yeah, and I love that <laughs> taking comedy and imbuing it with this sense of transcendent importance and vital cultural significance when it doesn't have that at all is one of the things I like to think about comedy clubs as having this gravitas that it actually really doesn't have. You so, know, so, like, so on the surface, with us talking about it here, yeah. you could see that sure someone could be upset. For this, for that very reason we just said, it was yeah. funny. Someone could be said, "Well, you're taking something really important." Yes. And why are you taking Rosa Parks? I know. And and t- removing, you know, she was really important for civil rights, like right. that. And I just doesn't care about a comedy club, but you know, then and then here we can just rationally say, "Well, that person who says that just obviously doesn't have a sense of humor." That's not. That's yeah. obviously not what you were doing. You really yeah. don't think. Bro- Rosa Parks should sit in the front row everywhere what, she goes. The, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point: is that the joke itself, if you exact it when you hear it, the, usually there's a, either a bit, there's often a big laugh, but a kind of a gasp, like because they don't quite grant process the joke right away it, it takes a moment to really get it like rosa parks didn't even want to sit up front and then you'll feel it oh you know you'll hear this thing and the joke is about seating arrangements it's not has nothing to do with race have really you, so i've seen you give this joke yeah. have you uh i i don't recall a re- I think it was at that notorious uh, uh, <laughs> w- one event we both went to where I was MC and you were comedian oh, yeah. and the crowd was just like falling asleep oh, for everybody yeah, for the yeah, whole. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it was Jonestown. Uh, that yeah. cra- it was Jonestown at that gig. Hey, people died at Jonestown. Uh, yeah, hey, Jonestown. No, 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 no. The people died on stage at that gig. There was a That's congressman died. There was more death at that gig than at Jonestown, let me tell you. And it was us, the right, comedians. Right, right, we, right. We died at that gig. <laughs> it was much more tragic. Jonestown was a lark compared <laughs> right. to that gig. Right. So, 
So what's what's the worst reaction you've had to that? Well, the funny part about that joke is that black uh, uh, black people love that laugh all the time at that joke because they they feel you can tell where the energy is coming from in a joke like that. And that's another thing that says when you take words out of context and you take words out of energy and you and I talking and you sitting with someone on the phone, there's an energy. There's a love. There's a there's an affection. There's a connection. There's something there. There's empathy. There's compassion. There's an actual human connection. When you see words on a page that has none of that. So so Facebook or Twitter, you just see these words. And so you don't hear the inflection. I mean, there's, it, it amazes me that people take jokes out of context and print them. And then you see them and you go, ooh, that seems a little weird. Like, and yeah, it might seem weird. But if you see the person, you go, oh, I get it. That's different because you feel what they're saying. And so when you bloodlessly drain all of that out and reduce it to words on a page, it oftentimes does not have the impact or shifts it completely. So when I do that joke, I... You, you, in, and in comedy, almost universally, that joke usually gets a big laugh. So, so, but there, I'll do it at seller sometimes, and they'll be like, ah, and then I, of course, have to do the, you know, do a seminar with a white, you know, board where I then instruct the crowd. Okay, folks, you know, if, but then I, I do a, a tag if, if I say, if, um, what do I say? If, if, if Rosa Parks had been in a comedy club instead of a bus, the civil rights movement would have never happened, right? Like, like Miss Parks, would you like a seat right near the stage? No, I'm good back here, right? Like, like <laughs> so it's an act out. So, so there's this funny. The idea of that is just completely absurd, and it just elevates this idea that here's in a comedy club putting, you know, the front row, and I took this one scenario and so and made it, you know, into something that's just conflating something that's so important. But white people go, oh, is that okay to laugh at? I don't know. Do I want, am I a racist if I laugh? They don't, they're doing calculations like Rain Man in their head of trying to figure out if something is okay to laugh at because they're hearing, the, they just hear Rosa Parks and they're just suddenly like, right. they're scrambled. Their brains are scrambled. So right? let's, 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 I hate to use the words, give them the benefit of the doubt for yeah. a second, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're scared, right? Yeah. So yeah. they're scared of not somehow, you know, obviously we're, we're, we've all been massively affected lately mm -hmm. by the co the cognitive bias, which is this primal way humans think and a way humans have survived for tens of thousands of years. We're, we're all uh, persuaded now by groupthink. Yeah. So they're afraid if they laugh, then they'll be kicked out of the group, which yes. has been for evolutionary reasons, a very bad thing. Yes. They'll be yes. eaten by wolves then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so cortisol spikes in their brain if yeah. they're worried about getting kicked out of the tribe. Right. right. And, uh, uh, so I wonder now because of this ghettoizing of opinion and, and that moving to the extremes mm -hmm. and obviously your joke is first off, it's, it's politically meaningless. Really. It's just sure. a funny joke. And it's, uh, but even if it was, somehow in the center questioning, you know, some places you should sit up front, some places you should be allowed to sit up front. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so, right. so, uh, uh, but they're afraid, uh, there's nothing they can do about it. They're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, so then I say to the crowd, by the way, that is a seating arrangement joke. That is a, a logistics joke. That's a joke about logistics. There is no real true racial component to it, but then I'll act out the white guy going, Oh, should we laugh at that? Is that, uh, that's insensitive because she's an, a cultural icon and very important in the, in the sense. So I, as funny as I find that joke, I think I'm just not going to weigh in on it because I don't want to be excised from my group and kicked out. So I'm just not going to stop it. People just, 
calm down, okay? Because of all the jokes, you'll see that are racial. That's one of the most genial, least, you know, egregious. It doesn't make any real comment on anything. But that's how powerful that dynamic is that we're talking about, where people are taken aback and going, oh, maybe I shouldn't laugh at that, but I'm not sure even why. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. I'm not sure why, because it's a cognitive bias. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which identifies all these cognitive biases. They can't help it. They yeah. can't help uh, uh, that they're afraid to laugh. Yes. And it's maybe a recent thing where the group think has, has gotten so big on each side that it, 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 it captures everybody now. Right. But so, so, so let's say that joke affects one half of the people. Right. And then you kind of have a part two, which is like, <laughs> you know, Oh boy, I didn't realize a joke about where the seats are would be so politically. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know this is great. You know. I know it's great, it, but but that's my point. But, but, like, but then you get to laugh because then you relieve the tension. Yes, they wanted you to laugh before, out. but now they're allowed to laugh. Yes, yes. So 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 it's almost like now you have for any kind of sensitive joke, you have to have a part two. Yes. to get the people who didn't laugh. The first time. Yeah, and that's an important part of comedy that a lot of comics, like a lot of young comics or whatever, don't, don't, uh, pro comics but, know but, that but right But here, here's what I wonder with, with comedy as, as uh, an art form, mm -hmm. which is that, uh, and this goes for any art form really, and, and for any kind of writing. Yeah. So, so, you know, writing is, is mass produced now. People have an opinion yeah. and they say it and they don't think to check, oh, is this opinion unique? Has this been written in a better way right. before? They just think everybody wants to listen to my opinion. Yeah. And... Uh, with, with, with comedy, there's, you know, and I see comedians all day and night, you know, down here, downstairs or at other clubs or whatever. And there's the kind of comedians where they're just sort of telling their premise punchline and it's really easy. Nobody could disagree. Like, yeah. oh, the weird thing about subways yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, sure. we get to learn every sure. uh, stench of urine possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like right. everyone sort of agrees with that and laughs at it. You're yeah. not really putting a question no. to the audience. So we, so I sort of feel, and I wonder if you agree. I, I sort of feel the best comedy is when you put a question to the audience, mm -hmm. and and they respond not nece not necessarily whether it's funny or 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 not funny, but they respond whether they're whether you're hitting a third rail or not. Give me an example of of something you, like in your act, let's say that like like uh, that that addresses that, or do you have something? Yeah, that, yeah, like. like um, uh, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have a joke about Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. So, so of I, course. Always, I always have to say I'm, I'm Jewish, <laughs> okay. but, uh, we're going for it now. James, <laughs> no, James, James, you have an example? Yes. My Auschwitz bit, well, like well, my Auschwitz well, chunk. But right? by the way, just, just, cause your... I have a Buchenwald chunk that I'm going to be, uh, working on right now. And I want to, okay. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give <laughs> no, go I'm ahead. Gonna, it's I'm going to take a worse one. I'm going to take a worse okay. topic. Okay. <laughs> So, so this one, uh, I, I've, I've done it a few times, maybe half the times you get laughs, half the times it doesn't, but I'll have an abortion joke. Sure. So abortion is very third rail. Yeah, like you absolutely. really can't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it's an interesting thing to note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, you think? Yeah. a man in an, in a, let's say, you know, you're, girlfriend's giving birth versus your girlfriend having an abortion right <laughs> for a man the experience in if you're if you're going to it if you're in the room the experience is very similar you're useless in both cases ah uh, okay so there's right. doctors yes. running around there's nurses running oh, around yes. and and, and yeah. every time you want to help they're just like get you know wow. get to the side yes, you know yes, you're not yes. you're supposed to be there yes but you're actually so totally so useless. completely useless at all 
damn. It, and so, <laughs> and so my my yes. my kind of point there is that, um, you know, there's 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 nuance in yeah. uh, you know, I'm very pro-choice. Yeah. And but there's there's nuance in some of these issues, and it's well, okay how does to that talk about bit it. Do like like uh, what's your percentage so, on that piece? If if I. A lot of it depends on performance, mm -hmm. as most sure. com stand-up comedy jokes. So if I just say it, it it's probably it, it it sounds weird. But if you perform it like in a very clueless manner, like yeah. what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, and I'm just like, uh, you know, it just depends how you're 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 yeah, you yeah, do on yeah, stage yeah, and, yeah. and so on. Like, uh, and if you act like really self-entitled, like sure, you know, I say I used to be the mayor of this entire situation here. Right, like right. I created this, right, right, right. And now, um, and now I'm the there. lowest surf yeah. in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, and again, it depends on how I'm acting it out. Sure. But but the less extra I put into it, the worse it does. Right. <laughs> so you have to throw in lots of qualifiers. Is right. what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not. I'm not saying this is like politically edgy. But it, the the edge is really that hey, I'm pro-choice. I'm allowed to be pro-choice, right? Uh, but I'm allowed to think about choice in a slightly different way sure. than women think about it, because yeah, I think yeah, there yeah. are nuances to the issue. Right. For right, instance, right. in both in in, uh, and I've seen this happen in other contexts. Like on the re reason the, the evolution of this joke is, I wrote uh, uh, an article where I was pro-choice, all you know, very firmly pro-choice. Mm -hmm. But there are nuances that often extreme um, views on this don't agree. For instance, yeah. some women go through pain during an abortion mm -hmm. or some women experience um, like a post-traumatic stress after an abortion. Yeah, yeah. And here I am, um, 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 you know, as probably as liberal as you could be on yeah. this topic. Right. And I had, you know, on Facebook, on the article, mm -hmm. I very angry, also very pro-choice people, mm -hmm. you know, yelling angry at me. You. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not, don't worry, we're on the same team on right, this. Right, right, and right. And they're like, but no deviation I, I from orthodoxy. I had three abortions and it didn't hurt oh, at all. And, and and people wow. were like very upset. Mm -hmm. And that's you know that could happen on the, the right. stand-up thing as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, that, no, I just wanted to know because as someone who watches. I know that when you wade into those those areas like that, and especially something like that, you can feel the chill in the room. Like you, you're going to get some people, you're going to, you're, and other people want to know where you're going with that, you know, and and are anticipating if you're going to take that on, like that. That's a if you break that joke down once again, if you put a schematic of that joke on a wall and like break it down, that's really about male utility, you know, like right. <laughs> right. And, and the fact and, that men think they they always need to be the most important person in yes, the room, exactly. And here suddenly, they're by far the yeah. least powerful person uh, yeah, in the room, completely <laughs> useless and command. So that and it's equal for both situations, right? Right. <laughs> so that that's one of those jokes where once again the discomfort, you know either adds to the 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 um the power of the of the bit itself but also you know you're going to lose some people because they don't know how to process or they i that cuz that's not a race that's an interesting thing because just abortion just you hear that word and immediately it just conjures up are you allowed to joke about that right so you so know? women are mm -hmm. right women could joke about it all day long like we brought up Amy Schumer mm -hmm. um she has a joke from 2007 oh, yeah. where um um she, she was turning 30 mm -hmm. and she suddenly realized that all her friends were adulting. They're getting more adults. Yeah, yeah. And they call her and say, Oh, Amy, I'm pregnant. And and 
and she'll react like, what, what? Do you need someone to drive you to the <laughs> clinic? And, right. and they're like, no, no, I'm right. married and <laughs> right. yeah, 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 I'm having funny. a baby. No, that's funny. So, but, so, so women are allowed to joke about it, but if like you reacted when I even said the word, like Auschwitz or abortion, right. like, men can't say certain things. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a reticence, in which I think is really unfortunate because I think everybody should be able to joke about everything. But, uh, you know, and I don't think, and I always don't like that whole idea of like, oh, you're, like the idea that one, you can't joke about this because you're either a man or you can only joke about this because you're a woman or you cannot joke about this because you're white. Or you have never an opinion. Or you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't, I don't really get that at all because you're still a human being. And that's what comedy is supposed to be for, is to be stripping away to the basic underpinnings of our shared humanity. That's what it's supposed to be about. So I never understand why these surface uh, differences ever should imbue or or in any way, share, perform, balkanize anyone's ability to talk about anything. It depends on the joke. Once again, you, I, I have a real, I, I think everybody should be able to talk about anything. But I, like I said, I really hate when comics use that idea as a shield to get away with shitty writing or right. shitty jokes right. or so, bad, you know. So, so like, but I think, I think though, to your point, like the, you do, like I do have to question, like, is there a better way I could write this or say this or perform this? Um, like I was watching, you know, you know Andrew Schultz. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yeah, sure. Um, uh, he has he he has an interesting way, I think, of sometimes flipping the issue. So at first, it seems like he's totally misogynistic, sexist. Yeah, and Andrew's really it. good at this. Yeah, yeah, and so there's one joke he has where I could see he's getting half the audience, but then he has a clever way winning the other half. Yeah, which is that, um, and I'll just yeah. say it. I'm not doing his thing, sure. but um, he basically starts off saying. Um, he finds, you know, sex with women having their period, um, <laughs> gross. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, right, you know, right. the funny part is the way he says it, like yeah, yeah. he pauses and say, it, it, it's gross, you know, yeah, blood's yeah. coming out of sure, you. Sure. But then he, and so you're kind of like, you could see how some of the audience can yeah, be yeah. like, oh, what's Uh-oh, where's going he going here? with this? Some yeah. people are laughing yeah. and he performs it very well. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. But then he has this really clever way. He said, listen, if blood was coming out of my dick right i'm not going to work either yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's funny yeah. it's funny like yeah. how he puts himself in yeah that's a great that see that right there you see that's the beauty and magic of comedy because it forces you to see something in a different way that women wouldn't think about that and suddenly go what i want to have a, a sex with a guy what's <laughs> running <laughs> like when i go oh yeah break me off a piece of that you know give me some of that they might go ooh, and then women will go oh that's a really good point right there you know like 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 they never really thought of it that way and there's nothing and that andrew's really good at that because he he has these like really sneaky kind of clever ways of right. like you know so, so i'm wondering if you know and again i see let's say you know you uh, of course there's many types of comedy but i'll divide it into two mm. there's the kind where Okay, there's premise, punchline. Yeah. It's funny. You know, here's the thing about subways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but it doesn't it doesn't put what I call put the question to the audience. It doesn't mm-hmm. make the right. audience. It doesn't challenge the audience. Yeah. And then and then there's the side where like the Rosa Parks joke or mm-hmm. Andrew's joke. I'm not even going to include my joke in the right. category. And uh, where you you kind of put the question to the audience a little yeah. bit and you put them on on edge and then you have to kind of. Yeah, figure out the puzzle. Well, yeah, I I, I have a jo- I have a bit where I talk about a guy. It was a true story. A guy was on the train and uh, he gets on the train and he goes, uh, he's a, a beggar on the subway. And I just go, I had a skeptical panhandler. And the guy gets on the train. And he's like, Oh, oh, nobody got a dollar. 
I mean, nobody got one freaking dollar, man. Like, 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 and I do this character because that's exactly what happened. I, ne- I laughed so hard when the guy got on the train because he's usually guys are like, hey, can somebody help me out? This guy was like, oh, come on, people. Nobody got a dollar. So I do the bit. I guess this like huge. I thought that's an interesting approach to question the honesty of your target audience. You know, like, like, like you know, I wanted to give that guy a dollar just for originality. Okay. So it's just a little bit. It's a little bit of an act out. But then someone came up to me, another comedian goes, why'd you make him a black guy? Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Funny. Which was really like a, a, he, the true story. A, com- a comedian goes, why'd you make that a black guy? Right. And I said, I said, I, and then, and then I tell the story on stage, which is absolutely true. Like word for word, like, like where I go, you know, well, I didn't say he was a black guy. Right. Which is true. I didn't, I don't say the hill guy's race. I didn't go, a black guy got on a train. I just go, I go, a guy got on a train. He's a skeptical pen. He goes, nobody got a dollar. Nobody got a dollar. He goes, why'd you make him a black guy? I go, I didn't make him a black guy. He goes, well, he's, and the guy goes, well, he sounded like a black guy. And I go, well, you think all black people sound alike? Is that what you're basically saying? That's kind of racist. And he goes, well, was he a black guy? I go, yeah, he was a black guy. Right? I'm not supposed to be penalized because I'm a good voice actor. Right. You know, I'm supposed to recast my own stories and memories just to be politically correct. I'm supposed to give the guy an Irish accent or something. I don't, like, I, I, like, just because I'm a good voice actor, I'm actually doing a dead-on impersonation of the guy, and I'm supposed to do a worse one to cater to a kind of video I, that makes no sense to so, me. So right? that that's where though the the part two I think comes in to get the stragglers, the guys like yeah. that who are going to help you. Yeah. So Louis C.K. has has this one joke where um, uh, I forget what accent he was using, but he he he, he um, I, I think he was at a voice of uh, a black guy from the ghetto, right. but he didn't identify it one way or the other, yeah. and then he says. Um, he says, I bet you're all wondering um, why I sound Chinese. Right. And, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. right, so, right. So that's like his okay, part similar. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, similar. So I, I you know, and I, and I thought, how weird would it be to have the guy be like, hello, everyone. I want to know if anybody got a dollar or if I hurt my family. Because I just want to know. Enough. You know, like I start acting out the guy, you know. Yeah. Going through a tiff time, you know. Like, like it would make no sense. On a New York subway, right. a Scotsman gets on and starts right. doing it. But that wouldn't uh, get people upset or be racist. And it's like, that's silly. And you shouldn't be. And I just thought it was funny that I can't actually do an accurate rendition of the voice of the guy who actually got on the train <laughs> because that's like you know stereotypical but not to me i was just doing i just happened to be good at voices like a regular guy couldn't do that i can't right. help it right. it's not like well i'm talented you know like i'm supposed to get heat because i'm good at that you know so that's just another example of like something that sounds like kind of like oh that's wrong but then when you really think about it you go Oh, that's actually not wrong at all. Like, like when you reframe it, like Andrew did with that joke, you go, oh yeah, I, I get it. But you have to like really explain that so that people get uncomfortable because they think, oh, he's doing a stereotype of this guy. It's like, it's like, no, I'm not. I'm doing the why actual you guy. Just a gay guy. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, why didn't you do him a gay, like, like. No, no, it, just right now you were, you had a gay. See, why did you just suddenly <laughs> do a gay person? And why are you assuming that gay people, how maybe this is a woman's voice, James? I don't understand why you would be so stereotypically why do you have to put people in silos <laughs> it's that's, just wrong that's a very it's good just, voice yeah thank you <laughs> it's just so sad the way he does the james it's just i don't know he has issues <laughs> anyways moving on just get the show over with i can't take it anymore i mean really seriously is it is he like this all the time everyone seriously 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 i feel a hostility there's a shift does anyone get the shift here 
because this is, I came on the show in good, you know what I mean, with a positive attitude, and all of a sudden there's a, a negative bias that I'm experiencing. And no, 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 you go ahead. You just do what's good for you. I don't know, Brian. <laughs> I don't know. I think <laughs> yeah. you hit that third rail. Yeah, yeah, right there. We're, you were, we're, we eliminate we're you from the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but I do wonder, though, if actually, like, the art, I, I, let's not say the art form. I wonder yeah. if comedy should always it is an art ask form. the question it is an art yeah form. so so i wonder i wonder if you know i think uh in a lot it of is the most respected and least respected art form <laughs> at the same it, time it, at the same time it is the one art form that comedy actors don't win oscars that's an amazing thing to me like comedic actors almost never universally get you look at eddie murphy said the greatest thing when he was in uh he did he got nominated for dream girls and 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 uh and he there's a moment in dream girls where he's Gonna, he's like suicidal or something and he's gonna overdose on drugs in the, in the thing and he get, does this look of sadness and the camera like sees him and he captures this thing and people talk about that with Eddie Murphy and, and they were interviewing Eddie Murphy about that and he goes and he goes and he goes you're nominated for an Oscar how does that feel I go he go well he goes he's like, and he's great he's like he's like People talk about the look, man. They, they, they're like, oh, that look. You just this amazing look. You know, it's so riveting. And you did that. Did you see me in, in, in Nutty Professor when I played 19 different characters? You know, which was, which of those things do you think was more difficult? Like, like, and you go, oh, right. Like, Nutty Professor is masterful genius. Like, he plays 20 different guys. And he got, he got nominated for an Oscar for Dream Girls, right? But not for Nutty Professor when he plays his heartbreaking character and the brother and the uncle and the like he, he's doing it and which of those is more shows more acting chops or skill uh, or, or right. an acting toolbox or skill set because i'll tell you jack nicholson couldn't have done that you know what i mean like eddie was there's no one that could have done what Eddie did, but that doesn't get respected like that doesn't he wasn't nominated for that you can hear sherman clump getting you know nominated for an oscar for that so i'm saying that comedy in and of itself as an art form is revered by people at the same time it's felt to be less than you know you know uh, put up on a pedestal as like this level of importance and it, and i think it's because everyone thinks they're funny that's another thing Every, there's not a single person on the planet that doesn't that doesn't that thinks i don't have a good sense of humor like everyone and even people that like yeah it, some people will say that they're not able to be funny but everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor no one ever says well i don't really have a good sense of humor i'm just not that's not my area but everyone thinks they do and mo a lot of people don't it's just that's that's the way it is so so there's this universality to this particular thing not everyone thinks they can play lead guitar not everyone thinks they can sing not everyone thinks they can paint not everyone thinks they can sculpt not everyone thinks they can dance they can really be a skilled dancer but when it comes to being funny everyone thinks they they have knowledge and they can come up that's why people critique you and come up to you and have a joke for you after the show which doesn't right. happen i have a song for you <laughs> like right, like a lot of people you know, uh and this was more prevalent three or four years ago but a lot of people come up to me and say oh you should do this yeah you know they almost have like requests yeah you know yeah and, and, weird and and they have never you know because the other but the other thing about uh, let me let me ask your opinion on this yeah. and this is not really related to the political correctness aspect sure. but so the other day i was interviewing two people on the same day one was uh and i'm super fans of both of them uh mike reese who uh wrote many episodes of the simpsons produced mm. is a producer on 659 episodes of the simpsons right he wrote actually uh many of the jokes for oscars 2019 oh, you know, okay. the one oscars without a host 
and uh, and he's a joke writer. Mm -hmm. And and he was he actually even was a joke writer for Johnny Carson in wow. the eighties. Okay. And so from and I asked him, did you get better? Did you improve? And he's like, no, I always was like a good joke writer. Like, I was right. always really funny and right. I just think in jokes. Right. And then I also interviewed that day Susie Essman, who sure. she was I a stand-up comedian years. for yeah. si 16 or, years. Sure. And uh, then she was on Curb Your Enthusiasm mm -hmm. as a very funny actress. Yeah. And um, she said it took her 10 years before she finally felt she was coming into her own her on voice, the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously they're both funny and they both have senses of humor, but there's a difference between stand-up comedy and just being funny. Yeah. So stand-up comedy, like the being funny part is important, yeah. but it's one part of many. Like mm -hmm. there's also the stage work. There's there's the, vo like you're doing the voices or the act outs. Yeah. There's crowd work and sensing right. how, and she even talks about how each crowd's got a different personality. So you have to kind of go through your catalog of thousands of crowds totally. that you've experienced and yeah. figure out how to react. So so it's, for, as a performance art, it's mm -hmm. it's much more difficult than just having a sense of humor. Yeah, and there's an antagonistic there's a there's an antagonistic um uh, uh relationship between co audience and co comedian that's different from other art forms. You'll see literally people, guys will bring a girl to the show and not want to laugh at the at a comedian and be defiant, like not actually into the show. They'll be on their phones or they you know, you don't do that in many other art art forms, but in comedy there's a sort of you have to win them over. There's a sort of, even celebrity comics will say that they go on, they'll get a five minute window that's okay because you're a celebrity, but then you still have to bring the, your A game. You still have to be funny. You still have, the audience is not going to just laugh at anything. Laughter still has to be earned. Right. So you'll see, you'll see people go on and they'll be, you, you know, audiences don't always, um, what, you, what you were saying about talking about, about uh, being funny what, where we I, I lost my train of thought the completely being funny versus the performance oh yeah yeah and people like like going up and in it's it's it there's so many layers you'll see people that don't have great jokes but they're great performers you know and other people that are both you know brian regan is like great at everything like really performing comedy and being like naturally naturally just funny and goofy and and but the bits are so well written like they're just so artfully written and it doesn't get the respect like comedy doesn't get the respect that it deserves some comics are funny right out of the gate Chappelle was hilarious when he was like 15 or 16 like right on amazing like right away some comics have that kind of just golden you know hue around them where they're just wow that joke was amazing I didn't see that coming and that you're relatively and some people it takes longer to get yeah, but, but like, like like Chappelle though is an interesting example where would you like he does not get, let's say he's the best in the world. Yeah. He does not get the same number of laughs per minute mm -hmm. as some other comedians who we both probably know sure. who get so many laughs per minute. It's right. like insane. Right. And he maybe gets, uh, averages on his specials, maybe a laugh every 20 seconds. Yeah. And we've seen people do, you know, laughs every four seconds. Yeah. Um, but Dave Chappelle's the, the best. So what's, so, so it's not the humor. It's also that he's when the laughs that come when Dave finally delivers the laughs are human like the when that hit mm -hmm. that bit really lands when he may set it up when that subtle jazz performer way that he does where he's like he's like doing the thing but when it hits it's just gold like it's usually just bang that's so funny like 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 and he's that's the he uses silence better than most comics like silence is a fear a lot of comedians have fear of silence because they don't want to let the thing linger 
but he'll let that thing just stretch and the payoff, the tension builds, and then he'll hit something really so freaking funny. That's just great. And, 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 you know, I just remember like when he was young, they had that joke. I can't remember. It was like a long time ago. He had that joke about like, if, if Batman, you know, was in the, with Batman came into a black neighborhood or something. Do you know this joke? No, I, no, I just, I I just it. remember it. I, just, I don't know why. It always stuck with me because he'd go, Batman, <laughs> you never see Batman in a black neighborhood or something. It was just such a funny, because it was this long period of silence where he'd go, he'd go, Robin, blah, 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 and, he's like, uh, and then there was like long pause, and he'd go, hey, didn't we park the Batmobile right here? <laughs> like, like, and it was just like this long pause. What the <laughs> like like and it was just this really and it was just like, like this beautiful pause and he looks around he acted it out and then he hit the punchline and it was just hilarious because you didn't see it coming and you didn't you know and and um he's one of the masters of that of that of, of so good at that like just just really the when the laugh finally comes it's not just he he doesn't have boom 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 laughter like some comics do but he'll have when the laugh comes it's just enormous and- sense of relief and insight and. Oh God, you got me. You know. Yeah, and then and then so I think that I think that's right. I think also, and I didn't appreciate this a few years ago, but I appreciate it more now watching him over and over again. Mm-hmm. He does. He kind of does an act out on every single word. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. every if you want if you listen if you try to mimic him mm-hmm. like it's right every, he's he yeah. you could tell he's doing something every single word. Yeah. He's 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 in character or something. Yeah, it's great. So, he's, he's amazing. Because like, was on his last special, he, he suddenly spent 10 minutes out of character mm-hmm. and his voice got deeper right. and he's like sitting there telling, you know, the audience what he thinks and he's, he's got an opinion. Let me tell you guys. Right. You know, and, uh, uh, and then he goes back into character. He mm-hmm. goes an octave yeah. lower and, uh, or higher and uh, yeah, boom, yeah, yeah. he's back in, yeah. in doing, doing his performance. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. So, I, 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 he's, he's one of the best greatest of all time so 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 like you came from uh like an acting family your dad was the voice of voice actor yeah frankenberry right (laughs) serial yeah my dad used to see those commercials as a kid i know i know he was uh my dad was on the thundercats he played uh snarf on the thundercats so he was a voice actor so i grew up around my father walking around the house doing voices all the time so that was the way i got into comedy was like listening to him. He would do Paul Lind and Jack Benny and stuff like that. And so I knew how to do voices at an early did age. Did he teach you how to do voices, or did I didn't, you just... just you you hear your dad going, "Gee, I didn't even know doing bad Jack Benny." Or he would do Paul Lind, and he had these repertoire of voices that were just killer. And he could do it. So I just let, thought that was normal. So you just mimic your dad, you know? So I just, you know, I would do Paul Lind and, you know, <laughs> how, how are you, kids? What's going on? Because um, he used to do voices all the time. Brian, you want some cereal? You know, like, and, uh, and, so, and so I would just start doing, I started doing voices. And so then I found the kids at school, thought that was funny. And I always wanted to be a stand-up. I just loved the art form. I just was like, Richard Pryor was my hero from an early age. And I, I used to just watch him do because he gets no credit either for for his acting outs that he used to do. Right. But oh my God, if you listen to if you listen to Richard, this is like the great like the greatest because they're real people. He just act started acting out real people from if you hear the dice game uh, routine. I forget what album now it's blanking out, but uh, where <laughs> he does the white cop coming in. Now listen, kids, we're now you folks. We just want to help you people. And like he was the first guy Eddie Murphy talks about. He was the first guy who did white. The, the the stock white guy talking, uh. which was the high voiced. Richard was the first guy who came out with the original white voice. Was a, now listen up here, guys. You know we're just guy gumption. We're trying to help you people. And the black guy, oh, fuck you, motherfucker, honky <laughs> motherfucker. Right. <laughs> so Richard was like my my <coughs> my biggest hero. Can I get some water? So I started doing voices, and my father taught me because he was a stand up. 
Oh, he was said, a stand-up too. Yeah, but he just did voices and characters. And he told me, just end with a big bit at the end. Like, I always have a killer closer. And that was, like, my thing. Like, I would always, like, I always had, like, one killer closer that I would write. And then I would move on from that and have, like, a killer closer. And then I would do that for, like, a year or two years and then write a new killer closer. And then, and I would do, like, all my voices at the end. That's how I started getting work because I did all these voices. I just, back then, every comic was doing, you know, Jim from Taxi. Ah, okay, okay. You know, like, and Pee Wee Herman. Like, like, stuff that I look back on now, I go, ah, okay, that was kind of goofy. But I realized if I was going to stay an impressionist, I wouldn't become a good comic. Because you can, you can get away with just doing voices and, and, and just be an impressionist. There's nothing wrong with that. But eventually you reach that point. Any impressionist, if you watch them, they, they always have to come up with new weird scenarios why they're doing, you know, Christopher Walken or something. <laughs> like, like a good one, a good comic, a good impressionist. We're going off on a tangent here, but I always thought it was funny that if you watch an impressionist, they have to give a justification for why they're suddenly doing a Christopher Walken impersonation or an Al Pacino. Right, I yeah. feel like it has to be like a weird thing. Like, oh, oh I'm going to do an impression of Christopher Walken taking the SATs. Yeah. So some yeah. like thing, two Can you imagine that don't Christopher Walken, uh, uh, the number of four <laughs> is B or C, you know? And, and so you, but I just didn't like having to come up with weird scenarios why I was doing Nicholson or I think back then I was doing... Dudley Moore or oh, Cray. Oh, fantastic. All right, yeah. And I would have to come up with a new scenario. Oh, I was in the thing. Hey, every drunk sounds like, oh, that's what I did. I did, I did because Arthur, I don't know what year that was, but Arthur was out and, and I was doing, uh, one of my bits was, uh, you know, it's hard to pretend you're, come home to your parents' house, you're drunk, you try to pretend you're not drunk in front of your parents. It's hard to pretend you're sober when you sound like Arthur, you know? <laughs> that was my, oh, great, Mom, Dad, you're awake. I thought I was doing great with you. <laughs> Cry, fantastic! All right, yeah. Why are you hitting me? Um, and I think that was like one of my bits that I used to do, which was good because it was sort of personal as well as. But that was always a struggle for me to come up with a new weird scenario for a voice. And you'll see a comic go, you know, who was in the elevator with that was Nicholson was on the hey, how you doing there? You know, like like it's like no, he wasn't in the elevator with you. <laughs> you know, so that's why I stopped. I stopped doing like all impressions, and I just try to sprinkle them in when they when they work or when something's you know good now, or something that occurs to me. But anyway, that's a separate issue. But that's how I got into stand up, and I started doing voices, and I started getting work because I could do voices, and they were those were those could get you laughs really quickly. You know, you could get laughs. And I always said, if I can combine a voice with a good bit and some good one-line jokes, then you got, then they may not laugh at the bit, but they'll laugh at the voice. Or the people who won't laugh at the voice will laugh at the bit, or the people that won't laugh at the bit or the voice will laugh at the one line. Right, so you're giving you know? them as many opportunities as possible to yes. laugh or one joke. I said, I said, I'll, I'll have a multi-tiered, bulletproof kind right. of bit. So then, so you see me do like long bits where I'm one guy doing the the yeah. subway guy or something like that, because it's a bit that allows me to like get away with doing like um, a, a funny voice in a weird scenario with some really funny lines. And so I, I said, okay, they'll have to laugh at that. Eventually, like one level of those will hook somebody in the audience. For the dumb people, they'll laugh at the goofy voice. For the smart people, they get the jokes. And for both of them, they'll be the bit itself, which is insightful or funny. So, so let me ask you this. So uh, again, it seems like with like, let's say, I'll call it club comedy, like 15 minutes or yeah. less, um, you have to, the audience typically doesn't know the, per, like, the comic. Yeah. As opposed to like if when they're going to, 
you know, see Jerry Seinfeld at the Beacon Theater and they're buying $100 tickets. Yeah. They know what they're going to. Yeah. When they go to a comedy club, there's seven comics on a lineup. Yeah. They don't know you. Yeah. If they don't like you, they'll shut down and wait for the next comic <laughs> right, and so on. Right. It's this annoying yeah. thing. Yeah. And so you kind of have to make your comedy in a weird way, super safe mm -hmm. to make sure you survive the 15 minutes and mm -hmm. then they're laughing. So like you, like you said, you made bulletproof bits mm -hmm. yeah. in this way. But so I'm curious if now in today's day and age, and I, I think the most interesting comedy is when you do put the question to the audience mm -hmm. where it's not safe and yeah. you're, you're kind of extending yourself to be, it's a little dangerous. Like yeah. you're doing a joke you know, like that Andrew Schultz one, or like your Rosa yeah, yeah. Parks one, you're doing a joke where some people might say, what is he doing? And they're gonna, you're putting the question to them, should I be yeah, offended I mean, by this or not? Yeah, like I did, I, I'm doing a joke now, which is like kind of edgy, and it's it's like, where I say, uh, you know, it's not a good time to be a guy right now, you know, where guys are not the most popular demographic group. Like I said, I check in with the guys, and I go, I go, how are the guys doing? How are the men in the audience? You, you good? Because everyone always goes, hi, oh, look at the beautiful women here tonight. Nobody ever, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I always ask the guys, I go, I go, how are the men doing? How are the guys doing in the audience? I just want to check in with you guys, because, you know, we're not getting a lot of good press lately, guys. I understand, I feel for you, you know, we're not the most popular demographic group, you know? I'll tell you, uh, Bruce Jenner, he got out just in time, okay? <laughs> that was the most perfectly timed exit. Uh, uh, <laughs> in, like, like I, I thought at first when that happened, I thought that's kind of weird. A couple years later, I'm like, well played, you know, like <laughs> that, that guy. He read the tea leaves and he went, good, ah, good long yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he, he just went. He just went. Oh, they're dismantling the patriarchy. You know, sorry guys, I gotta go. Like <laughs> he's just switching perfectly timed. How do you live off the patriarchy for all those years and then just when it starts to go down, you just switch teams like a genius. Well played. What a jujitsu move. Now that bit, that that gets this. Once again, it gets like this gasp of like, or is that, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I always, I'm like, I'm like, it's a, it's a joke. It's this thing. It's not, and there's the people go, you know, oh, that's, it's transphobic, which is another thing. Tra well, it's transphobic. And I'm, and I'm always like, is it, is it real? Like, like something phobic means that you're afraid of something or you're, you're terrified of something. It's like, well, I'm just doing a joke about reality and, and our perceptions of reality. I have nothing I'm just I'm just trying to illuminate something that I noticed well, and and, well, and it's tricky also because when you first start the joke if a if a guy is there with his girlfriend say or if he's on a mm -hmm. date is he going to laugh at it yeah. for for fear of offending his date well I know and the, and that joke usually gets a universally good response because mm -hmm. It so comes out of nowhere, and it, and it's kind of got a, a twisty kind of. Uh, un it, the, the premise is funny, but then the punchline with the Bruce Jenner, yeah, yeah. you know, that's got to yeah, hit. Yeah, that's that nails that that really. The, does the very well. first line, I'm I'm betting sometimes not everyone is laughing, like they're chuckling. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a weird question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How but, the guys? But, you know, it's not that's the setup. But right? but the guys are probably a little nervous. What's <laughs> right? What are the women in the room thinking? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but. But that's what comedy is, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a celebration of differences, and it should be an illumination of like, of like topics that it's okay to talk about, that so, it's okay to broach them in that arena, in stand-up, of, above all. This is a place for that. This, that's what drives me crazy about this, well, coming back, circling full circle on the political correctness thing. It's like, it's weird that comedy of all places should have any of these weird rules uh, placed on it when of all places that's the place where you go 
like, like you can say something genial. Like there was a, I, I was a camp when I was a camp counselor, when I was a teenager, like I worked in a, a camp and there was a kid in a wheelchair. And I remember everyone was so afraid to talk, like say anything about the guy. And I said, Hey, can you get up? We're moving here. Can you get, please? It's can't you, you, can you stop with this act? Well, you all know. And then he loved that because I was treating him like a person. I was making fun of the elephant in the room and he loved me. Right. And that, obviously you, know? you weren't bullying him. No. And obviously you, you wouldn't say that. Of course. If you didn't like him. Like for his the disability. guy. And yeah. I hated the fact that everyone was like, oh, Timmy, does Timmy want to go? Like, like, uh, uh, Timmy, can you get up out of the chair? We, we, we're not buying this anymore. All right. Like, like, like nobody. And he thought that was the funniest thing. And it's, that's the irony that, that sometimes when you make fun of like, you're supposedly a group or something, they're laughing, but the other people, because of their own issues are not laughing because they're the ones having the discomfort. They're the ones that have the evidence. And if you're a comic and you call that out, it's magical to the people who t feel, you know, like no one wants to say anything to me. And then like, I, he thought that was the funniest thing ever. And, 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 and so that was to me, the beauty of comedy. So the again, beauty it, of that. right. So again, it's like on the side of not just doing kind of the safe, like, you know, what's weird about tomatoes mm -hmm. and you're, and you're kind of doing this other side, which is, okay, let's figure out where there's a potential third rail and play both sides of it in out. this tricky way. It's on everyone's mind. I mean, I mean, things that are on everyone's mind, you know, like, like I, I mean, I did another joke where I said that, um, you know, I can't like I, the whole pro, you know, the, 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 the pronouns thing that you hear about in, in the press. And I said, uh, I said, I got to learn pronouns. I, I, it's just, I, I haven't even cracked the coffee sizes at Starbucks, okay? Like, and that's true. Mm -hmm. That's an actual true joke. I don't know what venti, I still don't know. What are they? Venti, tall? I still don't know which one is which. I still, I just go in medium. Just give me the medium. I don't know what the medium, does anyone, what is the medium? I still don't know. And so I'm uh, supposed to grande, learn. Grande, I think, is Yeah, the yeah, okay, grande, right. I don't even know. What's the difference? Grande, tall? That makes no tall, sense to small. me. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you, I don't know that. I, 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 my, my brain on the brain, I, I've been on the planet too long to change the sizes of coffee drinks. You know what uh, I mean? Like, it's grooved in. There's no more room in my head for this, okay? I can't handle it. I don't, I have other things on my mind. So you're changing the pronouns. That's all well and good. Just give me a memo. And like, when we, when we talk, and I don't know, but I'm just, saying that if you think I'm going to do research into this, I can't, I'm, I'm saying this is bad. I'm bad. I'm like saying that I just don't have the, I'm, I'm not transphobic. I'm trans lazy. Okay. Like, like I just don't, I just don't have the ability to process new information and pick it up as quickly as other people. So I go to Starbucks and go, can I have a medium, a medium coffee, please? And I, I go, I know there's, Sometimes I still don't know the sizes. I honestly don't. I people go, well, you're making them. No, I, what is it? Tall? Like literally, yeah, right. Grande, grande right. Venti. I don't know what that is. Grande, right? which means huge. we gotta go learn Latin to get a, a latte. Like, like, the, what is this madness? Like, like, I have no idea what's going on. That so a lot of my comedy comes from just I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it. I can't handle it. It's so just like what's you know, your process when you're like you're sitting at home and and you're saying, okay, I'm gonna sit down with a pad, mm -hmm. blank piece of paper, and I'm gonna write a joke. Yeah. Do you say to yourself, okay, what's bothering me? Like, how do you start off with like? Well, I usually I have a I have a microphone. Uh -huh. I have a like a cordless microphone and I babble it out because I find that most of the time and I'll record it and most of the time I'll just ramble and say, you know, something off the top of my head that's funnier, but I, for some strange reason I need a microphone. Like like I <laughs> I don't know why. I feel weird. Well, maybe because part of it is your the act out. Yes. 
Same. Because I love act out. So I'll be like, I don't know. Like I've been working on this bit about, you know, you get introductions all the time from comics. And some of them are really bad. And some of them are good. And usually, and I love a good introduction. But I got one recently where the guy said, uh, this next performer is one of comedy's best kept secrets. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I thought that was so funny. Like, it's like, it's like, because it's sort of a covert way to say there's a lot of big names in comedy. This next performer is not one of them. Okay, right? <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's been, and I've been trying to get the second line of that joke, like trying to write the second line, the, the, I want to write the whole bit, but I know that's the, that's the opener. That's the, this next one is not one of them. Right. Like, and I wrote 20, 30 different versions of that joke. Like, like where I was just exhausted from writing the covert way of saying this next performer. It's kind of passive aggressive way of saying, which is another way of saying, which you might as well just say. Like I wrote every version that 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 of of that second. That's not even the laugh line, and I was writing every. But it's possible, a funny premise. It's a funny premise. So I wanted to get the wording exactly right. So I would just be like, it's a, it, which is a funny way of saying. There's an ex, there's a lot of big names in comedy. The next performer is not one of them. Or this, uh, you know, uh, why don't you just say? There's a lot of big names in comedy, you know what I mean? Like just trying to find what's conversationally works and clicks with me. And and I finally am kind of just settled on this, you know, which is an interesting way to say, uh, you know, which is not the best table setter for excitement, you know, to say this next performer is uh, a lot of big names in comedy. This next performer is not one of them, you know? And then I was like, okay, I got that down. That's step one. That's the opener. Then I got to get the second line, which is what do I say after that? So it's just like a lot, and it's exhausting because it's like, what do I say after that? And I finally cracked that the other night because I babbled it out and I just said, uh, it's a, he's been keeping a low profile in this business, okay? That, I was like, okay, that's he's, number he's two. He's the James Bond of comedy. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, just, he's been keeping a low profile and maintaining a shroud of anonymity, you know what I mean? Like, and I wanted to write- Comic 007. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. He's, he's been just like really, really keeping uh, it under wraps, flying under the radar. <laughs> I wrote every possible iteration of like what you could say about someone- Yeah, of maintaining someone's complete lack of name recognition, you know, like like and maintaining a low level of, of, of uh, notoriety, you know? And so I've been just like writing that bit and working that out and trying to get it. Cause I think it's great for TV. I'd love to do that one on TV because I think it's really funny because they're going to introduce you on TV. So I could just go, that was a great intro. And you don't always get that, you know, yeah. like it's a perfect for me. It's just it's like a perfect You're, you're intro. fascinated by intros because I like, love that the very first time I saw you, uh, it was probably a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. it was, they 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 give you a great intro. Right. You know, you've seen him on this, you've seen him on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's funny. Yeah. And then you said, um, uh, Boy, I wish in every profession yes, you would yes, get yes. you would get an intro like that, yeah. like you know. And then you named an accounting firm, like yes. you know, Cohen Cohen, and yeah, 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 like... <laughs> and, and here we have you know a uh, new accountant. Yes. Uh, you might have seen him in uh, uh, cost analysis. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did a bit about why don't they introduce you, and in, I've never been able to make this bit completely. I've never been completely happy with it because I'm most comics are happy with a this is it's sort of a seven or six point five I call it right now. It's so funny because I I find it to be really funny, but go go ahead. Yeah, but it's just a, it, I've still it needs some tweaking still because getting into it is so laborious. The wording is just like you, they should have a, you should be introduced. You accountants don't get that. You don't get an if you show up to work. There's no MC who introduces you if you're an accountant. And no matter and I think it would be much better 
for accountants to get an intro because I think accounting is boring. And so they would be much cooler if you showed up at work and there was a guy, an MC with a microphone uh, going, this, uh, are y'all ready for some cost benefit analysis? Uh, this next, cause I'm going to bring up a man right now. Who's one of the most fiscally responsible people <laughs> in the financial industry today. He's one of our favorites here at Shulman, Shulman and Weiss. So give it up for the asset allocating debt, consolidating mass and command of market capitalization and the mystical maestro mortgage amortization, Kenny Birnbaum, you know? And, and, and so I thought that's really funny. And I did one night, I'm at center New York and I had that bit. And there was a guy from the financial sector who had chains on and he had his, 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 his his buddies there and people were mocking him all night going, you ain't no accountant. Like you ain't no, you don't look like an accountant. And he was a black guy and he was just sitting there like really, he was, he was like decked out. Like it would change. He didn't look like an accountant. So that bit, I whipped that bit out. I nearly got the, like an ovation from everybody because it looked like I came up with it right off the top of my head. And some of it I ad libbed because I weaved him into it. Uh-huh. But that bit was like perfect for that guy. And I love, see, that's the thing. I love intros and stuff about, yeah, I've written like tons of bits about, what an intro is like, or I'll say something about, I can't live up to that, you know? You'd say something about negative about me so that I can, like, you but, know, rally. But it's, it's interesting how yeah. earlier you said you you some, you some like to joke about comedy, and yeah. so that's, for instance, is a joke about yeah. comedy, about it's the about comedy, comedy form and kind of applying it to mm-hmm. real life. And then I really like when I've seen you in front of a crowd that was totally dead, mm-hmm. it's like you're able to whip out you know, you, maybe I don't even know what you're thinking in your head. Maybe you're saying, okay, I'm not going to do my usual set. I'm going to, I have prepared a set for exactly this kind of audience. Right. And you get them to laugh because, yeah. you know, you have the whole thing where, um, you know, I almost didn't make it. I was at a, a <laughs> cancer Children's hospital. hospital. Yeah, yeah. There was a child yes. there. Are you Brian Scott McFadden? <laughs> can you, yeah. can, can you just sit by me for a while? And you're like, no, Timmy, because. <laughs> There's a, a lot of people at, at this Stand comedy New York club, right, who, I gotta, who, who need me too. <laughs> right. So when you and then you say when you guys laugh, a kid's life yeah, is saved. You'll save a kid's <laughs> life. Yes. Uh, well, I, I wanted to. I love the I, of comedy as manipulation and guilt-inducing. If you don't, that's like a, a coping mechanism for me. If you if you're not going to laugh at my jokes, then I'm going to tell you a story that will make you shame you into laughing. Like that was another strategy that I, I always thought was funny. If you reframe their desire not to laugh as something that harms them, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like like you can and and calling that out to me is fun. Like just like we're saying saying if you don't laugh, there's a child a child will die. Right? Like 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 to me that's so funny. Like because because and crowds, especially when they're curmudgeonly, crowds are are you know they're like scared animals sometimes and you have to be able to read them and go what does this crowd need you know and sometimes you'll guess wrong and i've done it at stand at, 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 at one time at uh stand up I, I went up and and uh i just guessed everything wrong like i thought they were all from new york and they were all out of towners mm-hmm. i i like and i just did all the wrong bits and just dug myself a deep hole luckily i'm able to usually rally in those situations and get a good laugh at the end but i i missed I mistimed, misjudged, and mis- talked to the exact wrong person who was going to then open the door to them heckling and drunk, and they were like, so you just try to, you try to navigate that, what you were saying earlier about, like, what do you say, uh, how do you deal with those kind of crowds where, you know, oh, I'm going to blame myself if I don't do well, and I always do, I always blame, what could I have done better, but sometimes you're just not, what, what, you, you'll, what you'll realize is that you'll guess wrong sometimes <laughs> and you learn from it and hope you can add more things to your repertoire. There's things you're going to be facing, like following a big name, 
you're going to be facing that. So, and, and you know, you know, you know what, what I do, what you can't really do because you you do multiple shows a night at different clubs usually, right? right. Like you'll yeah. stand up in New York and you'll go mm -hmm. across town or mm -hmm. whatever. So I try to get to the club before it starts. So I watch people walking yes. in. Sometimes I'll even talk to them walking in. So yeah. they're primed when they see me. They yes. think I know them now and I'm right. looking at them. They yeah, think yeah, they, yeah. They, they're sort of more primed to, to want to laugh. And then I'll watch, it's very important for me to watch the MC do his initial set because he's figuring out who everybody is. Yeah. And then you'll see a lot of comedians ask the same questions as the MC sure. and they, cause they don't know the MC asked them and yeah. the crowd gets bored of that, but I'm all ready to go. You're with, already with to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I get torn between on that. Sometimes I think, sometimes for me, I like to know everything about the crowd. And other times I like to go and just fly in off the street. I have no idea what's been talked about. And I actually wrote a bit about that where I, I go up with a pad and I just ask the audience what's been talked about. Like, like, <laughs> you know, like I go, has politics been talked about? And I'll just go, I want to cross that off the list. And, you know, has anyone talked about the bullfighting? Has anyone talked about that? Has anyone, you know, uh, uh, relationships, sex, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome? Has anyone <laughs> talked about that? Because I got a 20 minute chunk on that. And is that good to go? We're good on that? All right, I'll get into that. That's awesome. You know, and I'll just like, uh, how about bullfighting when you have fetal alcohol syndrome? Has anyone done those, connected those two dots? Because there's some magic in that, and I'm going to get to that later. So I'll, I'll, I'll make fun of what we all do as comics, which is we wonder, who did somebody talk about this earlier? Because sometimes you'll do a joke, you'll, it'll get nothing. That usually kills, and you'll go, uh-oh, somebody strip-mined this already. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and maybe they're doing my joke, or, or, or somebody already did that, or you'll get something like that. Usually, well, you know. When you, do, when, you do, um, when you have to go on a late-night show, uh, I don't know what late night shows you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what's, what's an example of late-night show? Like, you mean, oh, like you mean Conan? Letterman? Or, yeah. I did, yeah. The Letterman and, and Craig Ferguson. How do you change your approach when it's like five minutes to like, so a super tight yeah. five minutes where you can't even really move that much yeah. and, and it's to a national audience. Yeah. I mean, Bill Hicks said that, you know, doing network TV is like, they put you in a dress and tell you to be yourself, you know, that, that, and that's a perfect representation of what it's like. Uh, you know, when you do, when you do like a late night set, usually they'll vet it really carefully. Like Eddie Brill went over my Letterman set really, really carefully. And then, cause they're, they were, it was a big show and they, you didn't get any wiggle room. Like, and is that, like you, you probably really can't like tell a story. I probably have to do very tight premise, punchline. Premise, well, especially punchline. when it's your first time out, that was my network television debut. So that was, that was really scripted. And even they caught one joke right before I went on stage. And if you watch the set, I still watch it going, you see me right there? That's me going, I'm about to do the joke they told me not to do right there. And I pivoted because I, I, I done the, you rehearse a set so much. You run it, you run it, you run it, you run it. And then at the last minute they said, ah, somebody had a problem with this thing. So don't do that one joke. But you're so drilled into it. It's like the coffee size of the Starbucks. I can't remember new information. So but I pulled it off because it only was a moment of like, I was about to do the joke that they said I couldn't do. And then I stopped. Do you right? feel those late night sets are less art form and more about just industry acceptance? Yeah, it, it's more, it's a little artificial um, because the crowd is already pumped. 
it's hard to not have a good set on television. You know, you I've seen them, but but it's harder to bomb on television because the crowd's already hyped up and they want the laugh is halfway in their throat already. Like like if you if you eat it on TV, you you really you know you you're not you got a problem. <laughs> new, new Cause, cause, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you really the crowd is really hyped and they really want to like you. You've got the stamp of approval of the host. Letterman likes you, or Fallon likes you, or Conan likes you. So. You know, you already you're already halfway there, and chances are, if you've got the, the talent booker has gone over the set and gone over the set with you, and you know it's a strong set. Like I have like three pieces now that I want to put together for a set TV spot, which I know. All right, that's going to get a huge applause break on TV. I think, or that or that bit is good for TV, and I just want to you know do a m- little more tweaking on some of those. But yeah, if you're doing, it is a bit artificial compared to a club set. Um, although, but, so, although you know, some comedians, I think. Uh, they could, they could, like take. Uh, I'm thinking of Gary Goldman's set on Conan where he did the abbreviated yeah. states joke. Brilliant. That was like a perfect story yeah. structure, Brilliant. but with like tons of punchlines in the middle, yeah. and it fit exactly six exactly. minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. it worked somehow for perfectly. Right. And if you see, like Garrett, that bit's just gold and just like perfectly worded with so many circuitous little avenues of comedy that go off the rails and come back, and then. You know, and Dottie, you know, like yeah. Dottie, you know, like that. Dottie, she's like, and and it's great. And then you'll see somebody like Sam Kinison, who's on Letterman. If you watch Sam Kinison said, he's literally talking about how he's editing in his head, like on Letterman, like like he says it on network TV, you know, like like he's like he's like watching what he's saying on when he's doing the set because Sam had gotten so big at that point that even the networks were like, we're going to put him on. We, we hope it, it goes well. And I'm sure they vetted his set to a certain degree, but Sam was such a loose cannon that it almost seemed like he might blurt out something at any moment that got him in trouble. So you, I think that's his first son of Letterman. Maybe it's the second one. I don't remember, but he's, he's literally doing, he's literally doing a set and he just goes network TV, you know, like, like, like where he, he cuts something right in the middle of it and, and says, I can't say that word. Okay. Let's move it on. And he's commenting on it. It's just like hilarious mm. to watch somebody literally editing their own set because it's network television and it's not his natural environment, you know? So that was, that's, that's funny. If you want to watch like stuff like that, that's interesting to see the dichotomy between live performance, especially someone who doesn't ordinarily fit into that. And Hicks was great because as as funny as he was, you don't think of him as like a great Letterman comic because he's kind of he had a lot of dirty stuff, edgy stuff. But then you watch his sets and they're hilariously funny. People, he's like underrated as a true comedian. If you watch some of, he had these great jokes, like like where like he had one of the best jokes about male female relationships and and he said and it's perfect. It's like a perfect joke. He goes, I, I think I figured out men and women. Uh, it was started in the Garden of Eden. It's my favorite joke about relationships. <laughs> Starting the garden meeting, uh, uh, God says to uh, Eve, comes up to Adam, and Adam says to Eve, "Like, look, Adam says to Eve, look, look, we're 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 immortal. We have everything we ever need for all eternity. You know, we'll never grow old. We have everything we need. We'll never grow old. We'll never die, and all wishes come true the moment we have them." And Eve said, uh, "Yeah, it's just not enough, is it? Right, <laughs> right." And to me, that's that's like a perfect. Representative, not just a male-female relationships, but about just just the the human condition of right. dissatisfaction in general, mm-hmm. of never being able to be happy with almost everything that you have, and that's a great joke that Hicks did on on TV. And and always bother me that great jokes like that fall down the memory hole 
And that's like a Zen koan. That's like a genius little piece of, that's a poem, yeah. you know? That's like a, a little poem that, and people don't give jokes the respect. You know, certain Stephen Wright jokes have fallen into the, you know, zeitgeist of like people remember and maybe, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Mitch Hedberg. Uh, yeah, Mitch Hedberg has a couple that people have really stick with people because they've been reproduced in memes. But there's a lot of great jokes that just get forgotten and, and not remembered that were really funny and and reach the level of art, you know? And, and I've always wondered why comedy doesn't get that kind of... I wonder if you know? can sort of take a joke like that, though, and let's say, okay, you're not going to repeat his joke mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, but it's just like there's only so many stories, and then they're retold over and over again. Yeah. There's like the, the cowboy version of Star Wars, the... Yeah. the you know, detective version of Star Wars. But there's always like, another way in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always another way to say the same thing, you know? Yeah, like 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 that joke, it makes me think of, you know, Americans always feel like like our conditions can be improved. Yeah. You know, try telling, you know, and then, the, the you know, you make some comparison to the kid in Ethiopia who ends up in jail in America and he's writing home to his mom, like all these great things that are happening to right, him Right, right, yeah. Like he gets a meal three times a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, Everything and from plumbing. perspective, yes. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah, that's true. And that's what... That's he could what, express free love with his yeah, roommate all never, the time. It, there's always a new way to say something. Like uh, Brian Regan does this bit about uh, uh, the, the scoring in tennis, and it's just perfect. Like I watch it and I go, well, you can't do another bit about scoring in tennis. Uh, at least I can't. Watching Brian's joke, he he takes everything thirty love and and says how ridiculous the verbiage is in that, and he and he just nails it. Just every possible angle, he just hits it and just hits it completely out of the park. It's so funny. It's it's so perfectly worded. And and I just go, well, I can't write another joke. Uh, uh, you can't. No one's going to be able to write a bit about. But someone will. Do you ever feel that That's about like Louis C.K.? Because he kind of hits every single topic ever. Well, yeah, but Louis always has his own weird take on it. That mm -hmm. that you go, you go, you go. Okay, that's bizarre world. I didn't really think of that angle on that. And and so that's the challenge. Someone's someone strip mine that already. You gotta you gotta man up. You gotta comedy up and and find something that no one's talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, when I did the what women want bit, what I what I what I did on Letterman, they I just. I sat there for hours with a thesaurus coming up with words and words, and I just wrote endless combinations until I finally cracked it on stage. And then, and, and it just took, it just takes work. It's hard. It's hard. You can, the easiest jokes sometimes come to you either right away or after laborious hours of like trying to find the right word or the right insight into it. Yeah, like, like Gary Goldman with that abbreviated state show. I know, he said, it's ridiculous. He, he said it took him 20 years to write. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing. <laughs> and you can tell because everything in that joke, that joke has circumlocutions and off-ramps of weirdness and, 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 and that's what makes it so good is it's just not this one thing. It it's just goes all over the map and comes back and, and, and it's something that everyone's noticed and seen, but no one's articulated that well. Mm. And so it's just a masterpiece. If anyone wants to see a great bit, yeah, Gary Goldman, uh, abbreviations of the States. Well, well, uh, Gary once came on the podcast and we spent 90 minutes just breaking down that one joke. Oh yeah. That okay. we, I printed up the joke. Yeah. And oh, you, you, he was on and you did that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and ridiculous. then we just went over word by word. 
And uh, I yeah, you I could do that. I don't think he enjoyed doing it so much, actually, because he was like, "You oh, loved it," but yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was fun. You get macro, you get micro and macro with these things. So he, I can tell, I can tell he'd be like, he'd be like, "I already did this," like, like, but, but, but I can tell, like, he was for, trapped in the studio. Yes, we got him. Talking about it one bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know if we solved political correctness in comedy <laughs> or in I don't the know world. If we did. But, oh, did we? Did we crack the code, guys? <laughs> Have we ended it? Have we I, fixed the problem? I think we did. This one podcast, everybody <laughs> needs to lighten up. It's a comedy club. And yes, you know, it, the, I, all I could say is comedians, stop stop solving. Go to your congressman and pass legislation. Don't go to yuck yucks and protest comedians. Show up at your congressman. Go door to door. Pass out leaflets and stop heckling comics. Okay, so, that's... <laughs> so, well, okay. Uh, here's what I think I got out of it, mm-hmm. which is that... A, I do think it is interesting to hit that politically correct edge mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. figure out almost like a puzzle how to find yes. the funny out of it. Absolutely. Without being too, because yes, they're going to be offended. You don't, if they're too offended, you're not going to be asked back to the comedy club. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to, correctly or incorrectly, you have to play around the edge a little bit. Yes. Um, but I think that's more interesting for, for the art form mm-hmm. than just, having a quirky punchline and, and premise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. also I also think calling out what the, it sort of underlines what I've already thought about, it's calling out what the audience is thinking. So if they don't like the joke about Rosa Parks, <laughs> you kind of make it ridiculous. You, you, you sort of put the onus on them to feel ridiculous, which is like, yes, I know, a joke about seating arrangements is very controversial. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. or something like right, that. Right, right, right. Um, that seating logistics uh, humor is very, uh, <laughs> very politically incorrect right. to call out seating arrangements. Really, really, is that what we're? You know, it's it's, it's amazing to me. It's and, amazing to me. And there's a third thing I got out of it, and you can't remember. I can't remember now. <laughs> we're getting, we're just getting older. I just can't. Yeah, remember yeah, you're, you're losing it. Yeah. You're losing it. It's just like the coffee sizes at Starbucks. I can't right. remember them. I can't right. remember. Only, I have no only, room in my head for more information. It'll hit me yeah. what the third thing was because I had three things when I started that. Absolutely. <laughs> right, right. It'll hit you after the podcast, as always. Yes. The funniest joke will hit me on the subway after I spent eight hours writing. You know, does that happen to you? So all the time, I'll do a set and okay. So this this is in in the you know you were talking about um, or we were, we were sort of talking about a little bit sometimes you have to follow comics where it's very hard yeah. so uh, a couple of weeks ago I had to follow Aaron Berg who's very hard to follow sure because uh, he does so much crowd work yeah, he gets so like a million laughs a minute yeah um, but and I've, I've always done poorly following him because right. you don't know what to do so this time though I had a new idea which is I'm gonna do an impression of him ah, so I funny. so I said right. I said to the audience I'm gonna do an impression of Aaron Burr got it going through Saudi Arabian customs. Mm-hmm. And okay. how did this go? I want to hear about this. It, it, what was it, the bit? It, I it, well, 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 I basically just imitated his. I sat in the chair, which yeah. I, ne- I never do, right. and I imitated his voice. Right. He's got a certain pitch in his voice. And I just repeated some of his jokes that would be kind of oh. annoying at Saudi Arabian customs. Oh, okay. okay. And because right, he right. talks about, like, oh, what's Jewish Vin Diesel doing up here? Right, and, right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, so I kind of like That's put funny. it in that, in that context. And I did it poorly, but the point was is that I was doing it and the audience got it. It didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So I could even stand up and say, I can't do him. Yeah. And, but then that 
separates finally the connection between the audience and what he was doing yes. to them. Yes. So it works. You've got to sever that. They have a relationship. That's why I always tell MCs. Like, I, I don't like when the MC just goes, all right, it, it, it brings you up right after the other guy. Because the audience needs time to grieve right. the loss of their relationship with a performer. A bond forms for like 15 minutes. They have this kind of relationship. They're interacting. They're adjusting to his energy. They get, a, it's like they're bonding, they're bonding, they're bonding. And then it's severed. They say goodnight. And then the audience is slightly disoriented, okay? And it's the MC's job at that moment to usher them through the grief process, whether it be 30 seconds with one joke or whatever, and readjust and recalibrate to the fact that there's an ongoing show. That wasn't the last guy. That's not the end of the show. I know he's gone. I know you've experienced a loss, okay? But we want you to hang in there. It's not over yet. There's another guy. Because like a lot of times when they attach to a guy, especially if he's killing, they don't want him to leave. Right. Don't leave me. Don't, no. And there's a, they've been abandoned. So there you have to, a lot of MCs, they don't realize that you're dealing with a traumatized group of people who've lost their leader. Like the person that they most have this bond, this creative, emotional bond has formed, this, this connective tissue. And then they just, you feel like a substitute teacher coming up. If you're the next comic, you feel like an invader, an interloper in this relationship that's just, oh, where's the other guy? Who are you? Like, like I don't, I'm not ready to date yet. I need to grieve the other guy. I'm not ready to be of a new guy. So you have to say something about that or the MC has to do it. A lot of times the MC won't. You know, because they don't want to, they don't, they, they feel that they're not liked because they, they're, they don't want to take the heat. So they'll just, they'll just go, the next guy's a really funny guy. Yeah. And then they'll just bolt the stage and you'll be like, okay, now I got to be the one who takes the, the, the pain, like the substitute, you know, the stepfather, the step comic has to come on stage and go on stage and they go, we don't like you. We want Aaron back. You know, it's like, it's like, I know I miss him too. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but I'm all you have. Okay. Let's, the, the quicker we get over this, the better it's going to be for all of us. I'll give you a moment. I understand, but I'm here now and I'm the only comic in the room left. Okay. Aaron is out doing another show right now. Okay. <laughs> With another new fresh group of people. How does that make you feel? Okay. Is, you know, this is great advice because I have to MC tonight so yeah exactly you could do you could kind of go through the whole five stages of grief with yeah the, yeah with yeah it's elizabeth kubler ross yeah. uh you know you know anger denial bargaining uh and acceptance it's like now now we got to get to acceptance right now okay right. folks all right you can bargain and go well what if we what if we made a pact and and could aaron come back no he's not coming back you can't bargain your way out of this denial he's gone okay you know anger yes i'm angry too you know what is it anger bargaining denial there's this anger Bargain, uh, no, denial, anger, bargaining. What? Um, We're missing one. Grief, Depression. grief. Depression. Yeah, and What is it? De grief. Death, anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance. What? I'm missing one. Depression? Depression, acceptance. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, really? you get Depression sad. One? Yeah, you get sad. You fi finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, finally, you, you, at the acceptance you, stage. Okay? I have cancer. I'm sad. Right, and the I sixth stage is James Altiger. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's the set, the last stage of grieving. Right, right. exactly. Right, like, like, then, then we're at that now. <laughs> right. Okay, so 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 get to that stage right now because I got I only got eight more minutes left up here, and mm -hmm. there's not enough time to go through the entire Elizabeth Kubler Ross uh, hierarchy chart right now. So there you go. So that's one way, and that's true. That's something that no one realizes. Like I worked with Seinfeld one time, and and before he was like huge, like like I had, I was like I think I was seventeen or something like that on a show with him, and and somebody crushed in front of him, and I was the MC, and he goes, "Hey, do some time in the middle," and I wasn't supposed to because the owner said, "No, you know, don't don't do any time," because I was young and I wasn't that good, right? So, but he came up to me, he goes, 
I do some time in the middle, uh, and I and I end up taking. Well, the that, bullet. that was a good Seinfeld mumble. Oh, I, I heard the Seinfeld. Yeah, uh, what the deal with that? What's with this James Hawkins guy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why is he on the show? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we're doing voices again. I'm back doing impressions, right? Oh, hey, what would it be like if Jerry Seinfeld worked at McDonald's? You know, like, <laughs> I hate impression shit. At least I used to mock the shit out of that. That was so funny, huh? Hey, wh- what's the deal with these fries? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, well, I don't know what we're saying. Oh, yeah. He said, he said, go up and do a little time in the middle, which I wasn't supposed to. But I, he told, he said, Mr. Seinfeld told me I had to go do time, uh, sir. And so I went up and I did one minute and ate it. But he, you know, with nothing, like I had crappy material and, and, but it helped the show. But the owner was like, what the hell are you freaking doing? I told you not to do no time. And like, yeah, but Mr. Seinfeld said he wanted me to do time. I didn't know who am I supposed to answer to? Like the, you know, the superstar comedian, the club owner. I didn't know I'm supposed to answer to the club owner, but I didn't want to alienate, you know? So that, that's the MC's job is to sometimes take the bullet for, you know, to make the show better, yeah. even but and some don't want to do that, and I understand it. But then sometimes it puts you in a position in which you have to shoulder the burden of sh- of shepherding this traumatized, abandoned group of people through the grief process and letting go, and then acclimating them to your comedy. You know, so no, it, you- it's an interesting way to look at it because uh, because I used to do a lot of public speaking, mm-hmm. and I had one time where. I was literally going onto the stage right after Julian Assange. So oh, wow. Julian Assange, you know, he's, he was in the embassy in the UK and Ecuador. But I've he never had, had to follow Julian Assange. <laughs> I've never, uh, uh, very few fan comics can say that story. Right. So he, I got to follow. You know who went on ahead of me, did a guest spot? Julian Assange. Okay. <laughs> so he, you know, he was Skyping. Edward Snowden did a quick 10. <laughs> he was warming up for Letterman. And he did, <laughs> really? Really? So, yeah, so anyway. Julius Hunch, he, he was Skyping in. They had him on a huge movie theater-sized screen. Oh, it's like God. like a thousand people. Wow. And, uh, uh, and he spoke for an hour right. about the dangers of society and yeah. the government's listening and even WikiLeaks is listening. Right. So I'm trying... It's like a, it was like a Rubik's cube. I'm trying to figure out how am I how, gonna how to break the connection yeah. between the audience and him. Yeah, yeah. So what I did was I walked out on stage pretending to talk on my phone. Oh, that's and, funny. And I said, Yeah, yeah, it was just Julian Assange. <laughs> he was incredible. No, right. no, no, not Benedict Cumberbatch. It was the actual ah, Julian Assange. That's funny. Yeah. And uh, and he said that even WikiLeaks is listening to our conversations. And so then I hold up the phone, said, If everybody listening to my conversations, this is horrible. So I. Turned that's around great. and I smashed the phone into pieces. Oh, that's awesome. And they were all shocked. And then right. that broke the connection. There you go. See so. that? See, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's some of the little things that you don't realize. See, that really helps your experience as a comic because you're comfortable speaking in front of people. Most people go up cold and that at least you had that experience of that. And you have to follow Julian Assange. How many comics can say? <laughs> right. You know. Well, I always com- try to figure out how to kind of like borrow the 10,000 hours from other places yeah. where I've learned to sure. communicate humorously yeah. into this. So I don't, yeah. cause I'm not going to spend 10,000 hours on <laughs> this. <laughs> I'll be right. an old man yeah. by the time. What's the deal with Julian Assange? <laughs> He's not going to follow Julian Assange. <laughs> They're putting Edward Snowden in the middle spot. <laughs> anyway. Well, Brian Scott McFadden, I think we conquered several yes. problems. Yes. And, uh, B. Scott McFadden on Twitter. B. Find Scott. Me on, yeah, find me on Twitter. B. Scott McFadden on Twitter. And what do you do? You do uh, some... YouTube stuff? 
I do YouTube stuff, yeah. I got a, a web show coming out, and I'll be talking about that. And, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't want to bring that up here or not. I'm not sure, whatever, but... Uh, bring it up. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, are okay. you going to do it for YouTube? Y yes, yes. Okay. So, so look for that. What's it called? <laughs> well, what's it called? It's called uh, Agent of Trump, right? right we'll, <laughs> Where I we'll, play Donald Trump's agent. Right, it's a it's a lighthearted, crazy, insane uh, show, and uh, and look for that. It's really funny. You know <laughs> what? You should um, so two two. I'll I'll close with two pieces of advice. Yeah. You should animate at least one of the episodes. Okay. Like take one of the episodes, and then it's you and mm -hmm. Trump, and it's animated voice, <laughs> okay. and you doing okay. all the voices. Yeah, that's fine. You know, okay. and it's an yeah, animation. Yeah, yeah. But they already have that with uh, uh, uh my friend uh, Jeff Bergman's on uh, uh my cartoon president. The cartoon president oh, on right, Showtime, right, right. so Showtime. they already have a, kind of have that. So he's already they're already doing that. It's been covered. It kind of annoys me, but not but, from the but it's agent's great. perspective. Great. Maybe it's a way to pitch into that. Right. Yes, so, that's true. It's a great show, by the way. And the other thing is, a lot of your bits, even the ones you mentioned here, are, are standalone. You could put the, just those bits up on YouTube, true. like a two minute. That's perfect yes. for YouTube. It's like a two minute YouTube true. clip. True. So anyway, true. that's my two pieces. Well, of thank advice. you, James. So thanks once again, Brian Scott yep. McFadden. Pete Scott McFadden on uh, Twitter, and uh, we'll be talking more. Uh, James, it's a pleasure. It's been a thrill to be here in, the, in this episode. <laughs> and we covered a lot, didn't we? Covered a lot.